Said you're pretty much out to get me. Yo, greetings, greetings, greetings. Happy January, everybody. Cats, kittens, babies, delicious little babies. I hope you're doing good. This is a wicked, wicked, sweet episode of Secret Famous. It's like, how do you get this guy? How do you get the guy, the guy running shit? Like, as a songwriter, if I was gonna get someone to play guitar tracks on my shit, I'd get T Combs, dude. Fuck. And now he's on Secret Famous. But I already kind of play guitar a little bit, so like I'll just be like, well, it's a little it's a little cheaper. What is he talking about? Already, this is what we're getting into. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a dope, dope, dope version. Version? Episode of Secret Famous. We got Teddy, 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 Teddy Kumpel. And uh right in the beginning of this, he actually calls me Mr. Energy. I like that. Because I'm vibrating caffeinated right now. That's just the state I have to do this in. Because <clears throat> I did already track, try to track this intro, and I was like a few beers in, and it was I was already I was like listening to myself slurring the speech. I was like, I gotta redo this at a different moment. So it's the next day or a couple days later. Um, everything is good over her. I got the stickers, secret famous stickers. They're purple and black, designed by the Joanna Levine of Pink Wing of AKA the Paulings. They created twins, Micah and Jonah. The stickers look fresh. I'll send them to you. Don't worry. Um, and then uh, getting keyed up to release this record that I've been working on for like three years. So that's good. And then I've been writing all these new songs. And I've been thinking I was going to do an album of like 20 one-minute songs. Songs that are one minute but like 20 of them. But then I have these big big baller songs. And I was re-listening to the Teddy Kumpel podcast. So thank you, Teddy, because you were inspiring me to like work on – some of my own music because he says in this at one point in time he's like i don't get to work on my own music every day and that really that's one of those phrases that it's just been spinning around in my brain you're like you don't you don't you're everybody's hustling grinding just trying to make that paper son but anyway guys i ran into t comps in january at the best guitar store in the world and this is an ad-free podcast but if you're in new york city that little old guitar shop on 27th Street called 30th Street Guitars. You know that shop. 30th Street Guitars on 27th Street. Um, yo, I was there, and it's taken me a long time, years, years, years and years to have a rapport and, you know, not just be some schlub, some scab. And uh, I was in there. I felt like I was like royalty, man. They're hooking my guitars up. They feel like magic. They're like, Paul, what would you like? Would you like a foot rub? No, they didn't offer me a foot rub. Because you know who gets a foot rub? Who comes in on his birthday preparing for the Joe Jackson tour? That's right. T comes comes in. He's like, get the anodation fix on this. We're all like, whoa. And it's his birthday. And we're all just like, worship at the altar of Teddy Campo. Yeah. Um, I'm going to add a little link, too. I don't know if you've this before, but you got to see Teddy's Pigtronics video, the ring mod pedal, which I got that pedal. I couldn't wait for you, Teddy. I just ordered it myself. I was too keyed up. That video, literally, you sold the pedal. I mean, I already love Teddy Kumpel, and I love Teddy Kumpel's music. So if he was like, hey, this is the, this is the Air Jordan sneaker I dunked on, I'm like, yeah, I'll buy that. 
I'll use that. And I wanted a ring modulator for a long time. There's this tune I have called Tears of Bitches Past. It has some ring modulator shit on it where we chopped it up. And ring mod is cool, man. Wayne Krantz, Teddy Kumpel. Who else fucks with ring modulator? I don't really know, but I'm going to learn about it because I it is a fucking cool sound. So anyway, we're going to play you in. This is a long one. It's a good one, though. It's T-Combs, babies. Stick around. It's going to get hot and bothered. We're going to play you in with Keep Pretending off the Lupistra Volume 1. And then I'm going to close the session with uh, I'd grow a mustache for you. Uh, just because that song really... I mean, I had a mustache, and I would just listen to that song. It's just a great song. Teddy writes really dope songs. And I call him a singer first. He's such a good singer. Like, I like his voice. You got a soulful vibe, dude. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not a singer. But then he goes on to tell a story about how he's, like, singing background vocals and nine-inch nails in here. It's amazing. Y'all, I hope you stay well. Thank you to Teddy. Please check out his tunes. And, uh, you know, be super, 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 super well. Big love, big love, big January. Thank you for checking out Secret Famous. Thank you for checking out Teddy Kumpels, because Kumpels. Uh, that's not his last name, and I always mess up people's names in this, and people are like, man, you fucking butchered my name. But, like, that Kumpels, like, crumbles, tumples, humbles. Maybe it's, it's not plural. It's Teddy Kumpel. Guys, boom. Keep pretending. My therapist says you're pretty much out to get me. This track is hot. Have a delicious January. Coming up next on the podcast is the dude from Charleston, Mr. Adam Gould, my dear friend. It's going to be, it's super funny. It's good. Check it out. Rock and roll, pimpins. Be well. Bye. Oop. <clears throat> I got the Spotify page open. Little delay game. Here we go. We're back. Stopping the space bar now. Pretty much out to get me Doesn't want to make-
says leaves me annoyed My therapist said you're basically out get me Don't wanna see it how he does Wanna keep pretending we're in love Basically, I 
in here the kitchen that's the room no uh, bedroom i see bedroom and then that's the bathroom i need to use it no okay what happened to the energy man you said you wanted mike running so we could have energy is it running let's go let's sit down let's get in there i'm ready what are you gonna say in there right look it's water and blueberries and walnuts for you v-bombs <laughs> baby <laughs> i love this i got my notes all right i'm taking my mickey mouse thing off you can leave those on Right. Mr. Energy equals. You have notes? I well, I can't remember anything, Are unfortunately. You okay? Oh really? Do you yeah. have some kind of neurological disease? No, no, I'm just I'm not good at memorizing stuff. Oh. Okay. Push record. It's recording already, man. Oh. <laughs> you told me to record like right when you walk in. Well, I can't say you've zoomed out so far on this. Because it has two hours, just in case. Oh, alright, fine. Guys, Teddy Kumpel, <laughs> singer. Singer, oh, that's a strange. I like that one first. Singer, <laughs> songwriter, yeah, producer, engineer, king of guitar, king of guitar, and then probably the biggest contribution to society is the head of the NYC Guitar Geeks Unite page. Oh, is that my biggest contribution to society? <laughs> that's it. Will live on. I really. It's love, gonna live on forever. You I know what I mean? It'll never I love, die. I love that group. I mean, so much healthy interaction between you know it you know why i started that right no tell me i what. was jealous of drummers i always see drummers are like players. so well bass players i mean they have the bass brunch but they're yeah. i don't know bass players whatever <laughs> <laughs> i'm a bass player so i can say that yeah no it's true i play um, a lot of bass the bass is right there yeah baby uh <laughs> um but yeah guitar players sort of to me are notoriously loners and, yeah. and leaders of things, right? Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that, that a community for guitar players is fun because, you know, because watch drummers and they're, they're having so much fun <laughs> hanging just, out with each other and, like, being drum geeks. Yes. Why not us? For those, because it's an exclusive group of 169. Nobody's allowed to know about it. Now you're telling no, everybody. Told, well, it's secret now. It's the people secret. that aren't in it are going to be, like, be like, wait, why am I not in the group? How did I not get in the group? <laughs> you can ask Teddy very politely. You have to hang out with him a bunch to even get an invite. Then he'll no. send you a message be like, who is this No, person? there's only one requirement. You have to play guitar. You have to live York. in New York. Well, two requirements. You have to live in New York City. Yeah. And you have to play guitar for a living. 
There's 169 people that do that in New York. That's pretty good. I think there's way more than that. They're, they're probably the there's way more. They're just not cool enough to be in the group. <laughs> they're too much of a loner. They're too much of a loner to actually come like socialize with other people. <clears throat> they're just not friends with somebody who's already in the group, probably, and haven't been invited. Oh, that's probably true. <clears throat> Would you give me a foot rub during the, the interview? I might. Teddy Teddy was wearing his you Mickey Mouse ears to right start over that. I skipped even... over this. And you got me water. This is great. Thank you. Those blueberries are for you. And walnuts. And walnuts. Walnuts are fucking awesome, aren't they? Brain. They look like little brains. I fucks with walnuts. I like them in salad. They're not I, fancy enough for my full style, but I do like them. I just like them because they're dry and scratchy. They're dry and rough. <laughs> I, Teddy, I literally go to the guitar group page <laughs> when I have like a question. I'm like, oh, I need a new volume pedal, or I need something, or what's the guitar pick, or, and I like sh- go scroll back for hours yeah do you do that you could just search there's a search function i could search yeah okay well that's good to know too i'll be like where's the where's the and then i remember one time someone like put all those like charts and books up there and i got all into those. oh yeah i was like oh my god i think i emailed it to myself so i know how to get to it yeah better so teddy just so you know i'm gonna play people into this podcast with keep pretending the first cut off lupistra volume one is that really the first one? First what? First Lupistra record? That's the first Lupistra record. You've been doing it for like how many years and that's the first record? I mean, I'm not trying to come after your career or whatever, but it's like, come on, bro. <laughs> well, um, it started out as an experiment. I, I, I wanted to put a band together with another guitar player. Yeah. And I couldn't find anybody. I didn't know Avi Bortnick yet. And I couldn't find anybody who would just play rhythm guitar and, and be a looper, basically, right? Yeah. Which would be, you know, actually, if I got Avi and Al Street, that would be some rhythm guitar up in there, right? That would be a funky band, yeah. Yeah. They could be my loopers. Um, but so I, I, and the exact same time that that happened, Boss came out with that giant looper with like three things on it. Yes. And I was like, oh. I could just use that. I don't need other guitar players. Would you? I'll just have three of me. <laughs> <laughs> so I started messing with it, but it took me about two years to develop it to the point where I thought I could play out with it and be comfortable. Yeah. You know? And I experimented with millions of different ways of getting the, the band to play with a looper. Like, I think that for my way of playing with a looper, uh, having the drummer follow the rhythm guitar is a bad idea. Because I want to mess with that and like play behind the beat and make it all stretchy and weird. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want the drummer following that. That would be a bad idea. So the click is good. <laughs> so he gets a click. The drummer gets a click. The right? drummer and I both get a click. So the bass player often he can do whatever he wants. The bass player is the somebody who's got to play the music. Yeah, <laughs> that's the bass player's <laughs> job. So that's the bass player's job. Yeah, yeah, and they do a good job of it. The bass players, right? Oh my god, you, well, it's like, uh, your rhythm sections, it reminds me, have you ever seen the movie Vanilla Sky? No. With Tom Cruise? And I probably have, but I don't, I don't remember anything. I'm like you, like, I don't remember anything. I don't remember I can see anything. a movie like five times and I'll be like, have I seen this? And by the end I'm like, oh yeah. So Wait, I know this movie! Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. I just watched <laughs> Point Break again. I was like, no, I've seen this. I've definitely seen this. And in, in Vanilla Sky, it's he's choosing between Fenelope Cruz and Cameron Diaz, and you're like, this is the dumbest movie ever. That's what your rhythm sections remind me of. You got the hottest rhythm sections ever. The first two tracks, Pelton and Hess. I mean, do you got what do you do? You guys like hug afterwards or beforehand? Do you hug them? Or are you like I, I would. 
<laughs> you like, no, we did. And you got Tony we Shearer hug. and Josh Dion. I mean, what? And then Tony Mason, and that's Clark. He plays tuba on the Sousaphone. Sousaphone. Sousaphone's the one that stands up in the air for marching band. Does Tony Mason feel like he gets the shaft by having to play with the tuba player? Or? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, Clark is <laughs> Clark is one of my favorite bass players on Sousaphone. He's pretty funky. Like you don't even like realize how funky it is. Do you That's think it's funkier than the sousaphone? Yeah, is it funkier than finger bass or like keyboard bass? I don't know. Why does it have to be a competition? I'm just asking, man. It's just fucking hard, dude. Just it's relax. just hard, dude. <laughs> Foot rub. So, <laughs> T comps. Tell me about the lyrics for that track, though. For keep pretending. Yes. Oh, there has man. to be a story here. There has to be a story. I think I wrote that when I was in therapy. Yes, I definitely did. Yeah, my therapist says you probably out to You're get me. You're out to get me. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't want to believe it. You don't want to believe it? I, I just was want like, to keep pretending that we're in love. The whole time I, th- I was thinking, like, does he sing this song to his wife? Like, No. <laughs> she's like, oh, this song again? You're like, why are you coming after no, me? No, I'm a very slow person. I'm, I'm a, a late bloomer and a slow-to-move decision maker i guess because of the nature of what i do in new york where i'm i have my fingers in a lot of pies so when it comes to my own music i'm always like i'm not i'm not able to work on it every day yeah i so can relate yeah it takes a while to get something out as you mentioned thank you very much Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and um and it takes me a while to to record songs that i've written and even to write songs so i think i wrote that like in 2000 Seven, I was in or eight, six maybe, yeah. And I was in, I was in therapy, doing some therapy, mm-hmm. getting a therapy. Yeah, I've, I'm, I have not gotten therapy, so. Oh man, I should. I, it's like uh, my I'm not going to say you should, but it will open channels for your writing. It will do a lot of things for you. It will excise you of your pain. Did you like? At least it did for me. I, I had a lot of psychic pain and a lot of emotional dependence and was it like you're hanging out with someone and it's like the image of you sitting on a couch and someone's tell me about it i have no idea it's just talk therapy it's like what we're doing now except you're paying the person to listen to you and they don't have any opinions they don't have any opinions but don't yeah. they say stuff like push your brain around like maybe this person is yes they ask questions and they and they direct you in thought patterns sure behavioral they point out truths mm. that you reveal to them unknowingly. Did you ever share this song with your therapist? Uh, Can I you do sh- that? I think that- I shared all my songs with my therapist, and I think he was... I think he liked a couple of them, and a couple of them he was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> like he, he would never say that, you know? <laughs> he was like, your music is a little... Uh, there's not one song under six minutes on this record, man. Yeah, uh, no, we, we had a good time. We had a good relationship. Do you still see the therapist? No. Why not? Uh, I felt like it ran its course after six years. And you go once a week? I did once a week, yeah. For six years. My one friend, he I, he said you should go, right? Like It's like um, it's like hitting the gym or something. You should hit the shrink. Like, I'm going to go hit the shrink. It's New York Church. It's New York Church. Yeah, that's what it is. 
Yeah, every New Yorker goes to therapy, right? Like that's a very invoked thing. At some point, if you want to evolve, you got to go to therapy. Oh man, look that's at him! You're coming after me, Doc. Come I'm on, not saying dude. that you have to. I'm just, you know, you're, like, you're very evolved already. Like I'm not. I don't have any. I'm not assessing you as unevolved. I'm just saying if you want to, everybody's evolve. at a place, and if you want to get deeper into your into the self and developing the self, I think therapy is a good way to do that. But you know, I came at it from a very uh, painful place yeah the, when i went to therapy i was lying on the couch crying every day for oh like eight God. hours in a row really so so finally someone snapped you out of this funk i would just call my friends and i said i don't know what to do and they said here's the number of the therapist call them up were they a therapist that's specifically geared for working with like artistic personalities like yourself they uh this guy is um he works with performance anxiety a lot, um, and he he helps a lot of musicians and artists and comedians. And, yeah, so I'm not like, going to be an advertisement for him though. No, no, no I'm not trying to. I now, well, now you got me. You've perked my I'll interest. I'll give you like, his number after. <laughs> <laughs> he would love you. Does he? Because um, there's a there's a difference in this whole world. The little bit I know about it is there's psychiatrists who can prescribe drugs, yes, right? That was, and him. then there's just like life coaches who are just. Well, he's in between. He's a social worker slash psychologist, talk therapy. So he has like a Inter- PhD. Interrelational therapy. I don't know if he, I don't care or know what he has. He could be, he could have nothing for all I know. Because I've always had this idea that I could start <laughs> my own. You know how like people, you know, we're in Brooklyn right now and people are sensitive around here. I don't want to ruffle too many feathers why not but uh that's fucked up that you, that's fucked up that you don't want to ruffle ruffle the feathers paul come on well, don't why hold can't back i be a life coach you're a life coach we can all like on the internet in internet culture you're like all of a sudden everybody's a therapist or a life coach or a personal trainer the culture of offering unsolicited advice on mm. the internet right everybody's like hey man if you want to rise and grind every day i'm at the whatever you know so mm. do you see this in your news feed when you go on the digital machine? Oh, good. I have so many problems with all that. but um, Tell me your problems. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me your problems with the machine. I, I just don't see it as a place to air your personal grievances. I think it's a fun hangout. It's like going to a bar. If you went to a bar, you wouldn't stand up in the middle of the bar and go... You know, tell all your secret I'm a rough shit day. that you like. What? Why? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. But you know, then again, if you like, uh, my sister has MS, mm-hmm. and there's a multiple sclerosis group on Facebook, which yes. is great because there's a lot of people sharing ideas about how to be better about helping yourself with it and stuff like that. Or their guitar group, I think it's really useful for that. It's kind of super stuff. useful for that, right? Yes. The other stuff. I just like the jokes. Uh, I'm the rest of it. I'm whatever. It doesn't mean anything for you. I just I don't want to know. I have too many things going on to delve into people's personal business. <laughs> like, why? I got my own shit going on. And so basically, you say you like you hide all these people. No, uh, <laughs> no, he's like <laughs> unfollow, unfollow, unsubscribe. <laughs> I don't want to see any of this anymore. Well, this is what I'm saying is that I, I was always curious that, like, could I just become, can you just say you're a therapist or a psychologist? Now, I, why am I asking Teddy Couple this question? I don't know. But in my mind, you could just do this. Like, 
do you actually need licenses and degrees and all this stuff? I think you could say you're a therapist, but you'll, you know, probably, if you fuck somebody up, they'll sue you. Then they can sue you, yeah. Yeah, because so you're not a they... doctor. Or, you know, <laughs> I, don't know how, man, I don't know how that shit works. This is an interview? Are you good at this? <laughs> <laughs> it's a hang-up. It's not an interview. Oh, I'm interviewing you. I'm asking you. I'm asking you. Yeah. I'm in Brooklyn. I'm asking man, you. I don't know anything about that. Though. Well, I don't know. You're hanging, you hang out with these people. Like, I want to hang out with this. I want to learn about this culture. What, First of what all. are you talking about? You hang out with all these people. people no, everybody I, you know goes to therapy, right? But I haven't gone or myself. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. All right. I stand here with T-Cumps. I'm going to go to therapy. And I tell other people to You go seem to very therapy. emotionally healthy to me. Your shit is just out there in the front. I love your humor, by the way. I think that's one of the I things I love shit. about you is that when I see you on Instagram, I'm like... Man, this motherfucker is so funny. Like, he just makes me laugh every day. All I gotta do is go, Polly Mad, I'm gonna laugh. But what are you hiding? That's the question. Well, probably something fucked up. Yeah, I know, right? Someday it's gonna just hit me and then or for you'll just eight be hours funny your day, whole life and it doesn't matter. I know. I, I wish I had some big anxiety. Have a blueberry. Issue. I will. I will. <laughs> Look at this plate. So, Teddy, what neighborhood are we in right now? Carroll Gardens. This is Carroll Gardens? Mm hmm. Do you have a car here? I do. Where the f do you park it? On the street. What do you mean? Yeah. All right. You get used to it. It's fine. This is a, this look, is a beautiful neighborhood. Look, you got two choices. You can live in the burbs, drive home, drive right into your garage, leave all your gear in your car, shut the garage door, go to sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. It's about an hour away from Rockwood. Yep. Right. Or you can drive to Rockwood, come back here in fifteen minutes, look around for parking for half an hour. Unload your gear out of the car for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> the same amount of time as the other shit, right? It's the same. So who cares? Like, okay, move to the suburbs if you have kids and you, and you want a yard and you have a dog or whatever, right? I don't want to live in the suburbs. No I way. I, I like the train. It would be cool. Do you have a drum set? Do you ever record drums? I in own here? a drum set, but I'm, it's on loan to somebody. And I have recorded drums in here, but um, since I got married in. 2011, mm. I moved out a lot of gear to friends' houses and or other studios and or storage to make room for another person in my life. You have a garage? A storage space? Yeah. But this is the studio? This is a studio. This is where Yeah, you... I'm not like Caleb with my storage space studio. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I wish I could do Isn't that. Isn't that awesome? How does he get electricity in there? That's my question. We'll, we'll interview him, number two on him, and ask him that. I was I was missing that question. And isn't the funny thing about the Caleb thing is the hours? Like you got to be out at seven p.m. Yeah. I could barely probably make it before. So well, that's great because then you're. Oh, you think like creativity happens at night only? Well, I I don't I don't I don't really get any good work done. I don't think like. In the daytime. Not really. You need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> you give me a foot rub, Paul. If I put my foot on your on your lap right now, would you rub it? I would. I would rub your foot. Really? Man, it's so nice of you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really like a foot fetish guy, but I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're in pain, I'm here to help. You know, speaking of Clark Gaten, he told me a funny story about Sting. I've heard rumors of him and Sting. Tell he, me this story. He said he said that he he was asking for a raise for like a year, and they wouldn't give it to him, and he kept bugging the management, and finally, at some point, Sting called him down to his trailer at a festival or something, and he. 
he went down to the trailer and knocked on the door, and Sting's wife answered, Oh, he's, he's in the bathroom. Go right on in. And Clark goes in the bathroom, and Sting's in the tub, naked. <laughs> and hands Clark a, a loofah with soap all over it and says, Would you scrub my back? Are you serious? <laughs> yes. And Clark said, Fuck you, and left. It's not my story to tell, but it's pretty funny. I've heard this story. But that's sort of like me asking you for a foot rub. It's like a power play thing, right? Yes. I've heard this I've heard this story. <laughs> I heard that exact story before. Yeah, it's weird. Is he, so it's his... weird. I'm not Sting. Don't worry. I'm, I, you're not working for me right now. If I was paying you and I asked you to give me a foot rub, that would be a little... That would be, <laughs> be a, a little me, more like... That would be a Me Too moment, right? All right. I'll do it, man. Or you would just do well, it and, and keep quiet. I'd don't tell anybody. Yeah. Don't tell anybody, Paul. He's rubbing my foot right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's really good at massaging this guy. It's my strong hands. I keep my hands nice and soft. Look at that. This computer screen shut down. Your whole computer shut down. Yeah, it's still going. So, 20 minutes in, we've covered therapy and foot rubs. The song, Keep Pretending. Do you, where did you track that album? I just want to know. Oh, well, now you're opening Is up a can of worms. Uh, my friend Bob Stander, Whom who I've is, seen via you've seen him on social media. media. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of his dancing and his humor, mm-hmm. and I constantly post videos called Daddy So Talent. He's a, a beautiful 60-year-old man who plays bass, guitar, produces, mixes, arranges, amazing musician, producer guy, Grammy Award winning. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got a studio in Long Island in Huntington in his basement that's super down-to-earth and easy and fun. Mm-hmm. We did it there. Yeah. And you did all the basic tracks there. I got Sean Pelton and Andy Hess and all those guys. You said you're going out to Huntington. Huntington. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah Huntington. Um, all right. Yeah. What, kind of, what time is the train back? <laughs> can I crash there? Yeah, like, that's mm-hmm. funny. So you did it there? Mm-hmm. And it was all live? Mm-hmm. But you, did you overdo the vocals, or that literally everything's live on that whole record? Uh, I did some vocal overdubbing. All right, to good. simulate the live vocal experience. And not to get... <laughs> because the, the vocals live with Lupus Dry, I can loop them. This is what I was going to so say. The easy, vocals go easier. through the effects and the guitar. Uh, I have a looper for the vocals live that I use. Okay. And I didn't do that in the studio. Because, like, the affected vocals and shit, right? Like, that's... It's... Mm, yeah, I mean, I did some vocal effects. Yeah, I use a CB mic with an echo on it mm-hmm. that I... Yeah. It's crazy. It's so much sound, and it's only three people. Right, well, you know, when you loop a couple of guitars and get some stuff going... And then start reversing it and making it sound weird, and then it's going to sound like a lot of things, right? Yeah, it's going to sound like a lot of things. The key to that album was editing, because we normally when we play live, we can play a song for like twelve minutes. Yeah. So I cut it down to a healthy seven. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a real jam band. Like you, yeah. you would do a one-hour set and be like four tunes. Right. Yeah. yeah, because it's like the experiment doesn't end. It's like, like where can we go? Where late can we go? 60s John Coltrane, jam bands, jam bands group, whatever. Whatever, yeah. Well, all right, Miles from the Davis, 90s. So Miles right. Davis yeah. at Isle of Wight. Mm-hmm. And so you just chopped up sections and stuff to make it a little more... Just, uh, yeah, took out the boring parts. 
<laughs> you were like, this isn't my hottest shit. I'm going to cut this section. Meanwhile, no, Pelton's you know, doing like the hottest drum lick ever. You're like, right. eh, whatever, it's my record. No, you know, when you when you have a, a long jam like that. I told, Actually, I directed the guys and I said, hey, you know, we can play a song for 20 minutes and it's fine because gonna, I'm going to edit it down. So the more material I have, the better. So I, I instructed them to, to not worry about, like, not try to end the song prematurely. Interesting. Yeah. Can you, in the editing process, this is super specific, but can you edit the actual track? Did you have, like, all the tracks of the loopers? Is it, mm-hmm. like, yeah. 16 tracks of guitars plus bass and however many drum tracks? No, it's uh, I use three amps live. So I got the lead amp, which is just live with no looper, mm-hmm. and then a looper in stereo. So, and... I can have a loop on the left and a loop on the right that are totally independent, and I can turn them off independently, and I can manipulate them independently. Yeah. And then the vocals through the PA is its own thing. Yes. Which has its own... It has its own looper and effects. Teddy, this literally gives me anxiety. When I am fronting my trio, I have the, <laughs> my mini pedal board, and I basically pick one sound, and I have one sound to be like the over-the-top like shred lead because my my show is like maybe more of a comedy show and uh performance art than actual music i always think like i practice singing and playing guitar but then i get on stage and just like talk and yell at people and scream the whole time so it's like i love that i mean that sounds kind of like my gig <laughs> i've never seen your gig i gotta come you gotta come sometime it's have like you've been to my gig i've been to your gig okay i haven't been to your gig so you know that second, i try though. to be funny and stuff you're hilarious this is why we're kindred yeah, souls like right, this yeah I know. That's you true. cover like Nirvana. What yes. what other songs do you cover? What's in the cover repertoire? Oh man, covers. I really like that song uh, "Broken Lonely" by Johnny Guitar Watson. You know that song? <laughs> yeah. You yes. That? Yeah. That's great. I love Johnny Guitar Watson. Uh, what else do I cover? I I really like. Uh, I feel like play. I play an instrumental version of um, "Material Girl." Yes, that was that's by Madonna. The famous song by Madonna. It's a very famous song, very famous drum track. Yeah. I love that tune. Yeah. But I stopped listening to music like a long time ago, so I don't really know anything after Material Girl. When like, I don't like really have it. I guess, yeah, right. I guess after Nirvana. I didn't even listen to Nirvana when Nirvana was hot. Like, I was too into whatever I was into, and I think I discovered Nirvana in like 2003. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Like Bob Dylan, I never listened to Bob Dylan until I was like 35. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is that shit? I'm this is horrible. Why is this dude why is he singing, singing like that? So it's shitty. terrible. And then when I was 35, I was like trying to write lyrics going, maybe I'll listen to Bob Dylan. Oh, he's magical. He's a magical storyteller. I get Bob Dylan now. <laughs> well, that's good. See, I haven't gotten there. Someone even got me the book of all his lyrics. I just read the songs. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't even listen to them. He's him. brilliant no matter how you digest them. He really is. Yeah. So, then, in that era, what were you checking out then? Just when? I've had a long, 80, a long. I'm 53 years old. 53. You're a young so ass. 53. I've, I've spent a lot of time listening to different kinds of music and all through the ages. So here's here's since the ni- early 1900s. You <laughs> you grew up in like Port Jeff. Port Jefferson, Long Island. Nailed it. Cultural wasteland. Just kidding, guys. Love you. Oh, dude, Port Jeff is cool. It's like vacation land now. Is it? I don't know. I do like it. 
I don't know. It's He's, so I, I have a love hate relationship with it because you know how I don't know where you're. You're from Westchester or something, right? No, I'm from like in between Syracuse and Utica. I'm from the woods, like a small, oh, nice town. Yeah, I grew up in nature, which is why I'm relaxed. I'm not like a metropolitan churchgoer, you know. Right, 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 right. You don't eat there because you're communing with nature. Yeah. I mean, Port Jeff, when I grew up there, was peach farms and, and woods, too. Yeah. Like, my backyard of the house that I grew the up in was a, many acres of woods that we just walk around and oh, that's awesome. collect turtles and frogs and get dirty and stuff, you know? And so I, I'm not a city guy, really. Uh, I feel like kind of a redneck in, in a city. <laughs> you feel like that? Yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Port Jeff was interesting. Um, it was easy to, uh, I don't know. I was, I left when I was 18 and I've never lived there again after that. So, you know, you left it and was went a, to Miami, right? I did. Yeah. But Port Jeff, I think was a, uh, blessed, sheltered upbringing, I would say. Yeah. I don't know. Very white bread, suburban town. A lot of college stuff. My dad was a mathematician at Stony Brook University. My mom was a, a organist in a church. And like the piano local teacher. piano teacher? Mm-hmm. That's a good life. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> and your father was always just teaching math, and he's in the math department. Between drinks, yeah. Between... <laughs> <laughs> one time when I was about I don't know this is part of my therapy I'll just like I don't care I'm, I'm, I'm let a, it out I'm a relatively open book yeah uh, so I think I was in 8th grade or something and I was having trouble with my math and I asked my dad about it It was and it was like algebra or some Sakatoa shit you know? yeah I don't remember any of that but I said dad how do I do this and he was bombed and he was like I forgot <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up going to the scientist on the two doors down. Mr. Fireman helped me with my math homework. Yeah. <laughs> Takes a village, Paul. Takes a village. <laughs> to raise an Al-Anon kid. What's up? That's a good line. That's true. That's, uh, that's crazy. My sister's a math teacher. Yeah. They're, they're weird people, man. To like do math full time, like that's not bloody shoegazes. Yeah, they're crazy. <laughs> and did your mother push you into music, or it was just always a part of your life? This is the story of all these people who I've had on my podcast, right? All of these great musicians like yourself. It's just you can't even remember the first time you probably played or sang. I can't remember the first time I played for sure. Uh, I remember the first song I wrote when I was three. Three called "I Just Want to Be Free." <laughs> of you motherfuckers you parent motherfuckers um, <laughs> and it had a melodic minor scale in it did it really? yes when you're three years old yeah did you write it on the piano like a little melody or is it just the lyrics? I wrote the melody and then my mom played along with me on the piano oh my god <laughs> that's amazing I guess I don't know it wasn't very long the song it didn't have very complicated lyrics Oh, but th your first song's at three, you know? Like, I didn't write my first song until eighth grade. I mean, I could probably say the same thing if I, I, I you know, the song in question is not really a real song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
Yeah, you should bring it in the Lipister set. You know what I mean? I should, right? Yeah. I should allude to it. Bring Maybe it I'll back. Do that. Maybe I'll do that in my next record. It's a good idea. Thanks, Paul. That's what I'm here for. Foot rub? Foot rub. <laughs> Wait, I'll give you a foot rub. <laughs> and it's equal. <laughs> we can, it can be a double foot rub. Like Wow. Just hanging out, two dudes rubbing two each dudes other's feet. Rubbing each other's not feet. sexy or anything. Just not like, sexy. It's like for, my feet hurt. I can't reach my own feet. You know what I mean? So right. I need you to do that. I need you. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So yeah. So my mom did not push me into music. Her mom pushed her into music, like whipped her into shape. She was playing little concerts on piano when she was four, and her mom was like, "Practice the piano every Yeah. And uh, she. Uh, swore she would never do that to us but it didn't work because she was just super fun and hilarious my mm -hmm. mom she was a comedic genius um naturally and i think humor and music go together for me because of her she, awesome. she really in, put that in me uh and we would just laugh our heads off and do silly things on instruments and that's how i learned early on you know is just her, listening to her practice really complicated classical stuff and and yeah did she sing too she played flute she played violin she sang piano organ a little guitar like ukulele yeah my dad actually taught me all the chords in, on ukulele when i was about four and like in two weeks after he taught them to me i was beating him <laughs> <laughs> your speed like you're like <laughs> yeah like i was shredding on the uke at five now i was uh i was just like uh i knew more songs than him or some something happened where he was like i'm not teaching you anymore <laughs> <laughs> was he still bombed then you're like oh yeah, yeah. Dead. yeah yeah he couldn't move his fingers half in it he's like oh man yeah he was like i don't remember g7 what's g7 what, kid tell me g7 again <laughs> just the one finger on the first fret on the top string dad <laughs> oh man and i um i lost my mother six years ago to cancer sorry and i remember reading your beautiful memoriam to your mother and that was so touching and thank you so these stories yeah that was really was moving quite a specimen yeah <laughs> that's amazing and yeah. Just there's an element with my I was just thinking about this. There's an element with this current youth culture where, like, maybe we didn't have phones, so mm -hmm. music was fun, and we're having fun with music. I remember I, one of my friends came down. We would just be playing guitars, the same thing. My fr like, he, I remember the first song really that I learned on guitar we called Musical Masturbation and it was just moving my hand up and down the fretboard and, I, and we would laugh and crank the guitar cranked you know and I would be crying laughing I was like that's amazing do it again you know how old were you when you did that it's probably like 6th grade 7th grade yeah. right when a friend got an electric like guitar 12 young yeah, yeah. <laughs> 12 exactly and, yeah. and so we would we were playing music and it was always a fun thing. You know what I mean? It wasn't ever like, um, I'm going to practice now. You know what I mean? Like, cause I teach at a music school where it's like this regimented, you need to practice 20 minutes a day. Mm. Who the hell learns music like that? You know what I mean? So it's, it's cool to look back. Cause I'm like, man, I would just hang out with my buddies and we would 
write stupid songs about rhombus or you know what I mean and like hmm. that's where my path came through humor and through fun with music too it wasn't ever regimented like I didn't do a regimented thing until college I didn't even understand what a seventh chord was until college you know what I mean I was like what do you what do you mean uh, hmm. what does that mean I know how to shape this dumb one fret you know like I don't know hmm. so that's funny that because she probably never had to talk to you about theory or anything or uh no, that's not true. She um I'm smart enough and she was smart enough to know that you can have fun with theory. And that no. Theory's just an afterthought. Theory's not a basis for anything. Right? Mm-hmm. Music is emotion. If it moves people, it's good. Yeah. If it doesn't move people, it's not fucking good. <laughs> it's not that's good. just that's, that's it. That's it. Right? Yeah. Theory is just like, what did I do? I want to do it again. That's all it is. That's all it is, yeah. Or what's that thing that other guy is doing that I can't figure out? That sounds so I can't hear it. I can't fucking hear it. Teach me, right? Yeah. So uh, the way my mom taught me theory, and later I taught her theory, uh, was she was really a functional harmony, 50s style person, right? Mm -hmm. So she had all the five ones and the secondary dominance and all that stuff down uh, and she would just say that to me when I was very young and I, I'd say I'd say mom how come how come when we're having fun playing the song whatever it is yeah. going C F G da, 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 C F G da, 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 D7 yeah. and I go mom how come more D7 is, sounds different it sounds different mom oh that's secondary dominance oh okay I didn't even think about questioning that. Yeah, like, you were just like, oh, that's what it is. Cool. Cool. Okay. And then later, you know, maybe a couple of years later when I could understand better, she'd go, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a five chord going to the other five chord going to the one. So you know how you have five one all the time? Mm-hmm. Well, that's just another five going to that five. And you were just <laughs> like, cool. Cool. I was endlessly fascinated with... Uh, all parts of music, fun, theory, every facet imaginable was just my delight. <laughs> Did you have a formal guitar teacher in that Port Jeff high school period? Like someone who was like, this is this is Pat Martino, you got to check this shit out. Or Wes Montgomery. Because you went into a jazz hole, right? Maybe? Sure. I mean, I'm still kind of in one. Except now I'm in an avant-garde hole, I guess. I don't know what I am. I don't know what that means. Did I just say that? <laughs> Check out my avant-garde hole. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not, I guess I'm not really into the label thing that much. Right? Yeah, but... Because if you're a diverse I'm not person, trying to label you. But did I'm not you... saying you're trying to label, but I did have a jazz period. But Okay, so... Because as soon as you go to see, college... I can remember the first... Besides my mom, the first real teaching I had was from my elementary school music teachers, like ta-ta, ti-ti-ta yep. stuff, you know. Hey, here's what rhythms are. Mrs. Abramo, hey, how you doing? Shout out, Mrs. Abramo, huh? What's up, Marguerite? <laughs> uh, and Mrs. Khan, who I started playing saxophone in third grade, and she was... I was more interested in guitar, and I kept failing on saxophone. I think she demoted me, like, in sixth grade. She was like, you're going back with the third graders. Back to BAG school. Oh, man. <laughs> I was like, this thing's all moldy. 
I hate this. I hate that. Why is it so heavy to carry around? And uh, guitar is much better. Yeah. Um, sixth grade guitar class playing folk songs. Um, but then I had a band with my friend Dina Munch and uh, Carrie Newshots and Paul Panabianco. And uh, <laughs> we, the most Long Island band ever. We played. Um, we played Leonard Skinner, Eagles, Rush. Um, we made up our own songs. We had a song that went like this. Uh, we did it in the kitchen. We did it in the hall. I got some on my finger, so I wiped it on the wall. Really <laughs> rocking and rolling. <laughs> That's a good hook. Yeah. That was fun. Anyway, so they both, those two guitar players, so Dina lived two doors down from me, and her older brother was a drummer, Pete, Pete Munch, and he went to Berkeley for drums mm-hmm. when we were, like, pretty young so he had all he was like Pat Metheny check out this thing check out this thing you guys gotta get into this you gotta get into Hendrix and this you know we're like 5th grade 6th grade or whatever whoa yeah and uh so I blame them really um and then they were taking lessons from this guy Richard Rabbiton who became my mentor from 7th grade to 12th grade and, and he was a Berkeley composition grad grad student graduate so he he was unbelievably best teacher I've ever had by far. Yeah. Um, he would go. He, I guess, he just recognized that I had <clears throat> something that his other students didn't have, and I. That was also apparent because his cousin Carl Newberger. Hi, Carl. Uh, I took lessons. I took maybe two months of lessons with him, and we did Zeppelin and some other stuff. And and at the end of two months, Carl went. You know, I think you should take lessons with my cousin. <laughs> yeah, he's like <laughs> I was like I was like eleven or twelve, and I was like, oh okay, and I didn't have an ego about it. I was just like, okay, I don't, I don't know why he wanted to send me to his cousin. He, I think he he might have said that I was too good for him to teach or something like that, but I didn't register as like, yeah, go me, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but I got with Richard, and Richard did. Uh, he was just sort of exploratory with me. You know, he'd, he'd go, hey, how about this Elizabeth Cotton finger picking? Check this out. I go, oh, wow, okay. How about this atonal sight singing? Check that out. Oh, how about this triads over bass note thing? <coughs> Check this out. Yeah. Wow. How about Monk's Mood by John Schofield? Why don't we just learn the whole chord and solo? It's a five minute long, you know, I'm like young, like. 13 or something yeah going okay <laughs> and and he tickled my fancy with all the chromatic <clears throat> he'd play me dave liebman and like richie byrack and all the weirdest jazz in new york that you could imagine and uh and i just took to it early on you know so but what it did was it was kind of a backwards way to go about things because i i did play in a rock band and learn all those songs on my own yeah but his focus was just open your ears up be able to hear anything over anything, mm. you know? And it wasn't like a forced, you're bad at this, get better. It was more like just a fun thing again, you know? Just check this and out. He was a very serious guy, but at the same time, I mean, he <laughs> actually, when you make Richard laugh, he goes like this. He goes, <laughs> He's like a knee slapper guy. He's awesome. Uh, so he's like my musical father, mm-hmm. I would say. He's a very special guy. Was he a guitar player too? Or yes, yeah, great guitar player, great teacher, piano player. No, no, I shied away from the piano because my mom, like, I was always like, 
Man, that's first of all, how do you do that's oh, it's like alien to me and second of all, it seemed like typing. Like I didn't like that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I love that you could bend the strings on guitar. Right? Which is the king, yeah. That's yeah. The guitar is like six little tiny pianos, right? Yeah. <laughs> six mini pianos. That's interesting. So is he the impetus for Miami, or you just needed to get the F out of the metropolitan area? Are we not cursing? You curse on all your other podcasts. I curse. No, I felt a little aggressive to drop a full F. Oh. Fuck there. No, that was appropriate, because, uh, um, you know, my early family life with my dad and my situation in Long Island did influence my going to Miami and, and I did definitely get want to get the fuck out of there and as far away from all those motherfuckers as possible. Yeah. And go just have a new, fresh experience without all that. Right? Yeah. And now that I'm older, I appreciate where I came from, but yeah. At that point in time. Yeah. Also, uh, all my favorite musicians went to Miami. Name them. Jocko. Jocko is Pat the Matheny. big. Pat? I thought Pat went to Berkeley. Pat went to Miami first and became the teacher within a semester. And he took Ronnie Miller's writing class and wrote all his first album, Bryce High's Life, in Ronnie's writing class. When he's like 17 years old. Yeah, right? it's like yeah. ridiculous. Um, Hiram Bullock, Willie, all the Dixie Dregs. You know those guys? Steve That's Morse. Steve Morse, yeah. Yeah. They all went to Miami. Bill Frizzell and Schofield went to Berkeley. Yes. Uh, and I, I went to Berkeley to visit it and decide if I wanted to go there. And it just seemed like too, I don't know, I don't know what the word is. Too many guitar players? I think there was a thousand guitar players in the freshman class. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's 90% of them are probably super duper rich kids that just went there because they can. Yeah. Um, and they get weeded out after the first sem- first year, but... This seemed the rating system thing bothered me. It's like oh, I'm gonna assign a number to me. Like I'm I'm five on this and three on this, and I you know can it, can it be liquid? Yeah. So you went to Miami. That's a cool choice. What did you spend all four years there? Um, I went you- there for a year and decided that um, taking all the academic classes was sort of like being in ninth grade in high school. Mm -hmm. I guess just because of the nature of Miami at that time, there was a lot of sort of rich kid business majors that sort of, you know, whatever. I'm not going to... Is it bad form? Rick said it's bad form to criticize. Uh, To speak out of school? Yeah. Well, I think he was very specifically talking about... (laughs) No, I think it's okay to speak out of school. All right, those motherfuckers are fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in, I'm in college, yeah, freshman year, and I got a bunch of Long Island business majors around me who can't even speak the fucking language. Yeah, that they're studying, they're reading a book, and they can't even read. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is going? How do they even get into school? Oh, they're in this class. Yeah, help, help. So after my first semester, I left. I went back to Long Island. Mm-hmm. Went to Suffolk Community College, SCC. Uh, played in the big band, did a whole bunch of stuff there. It was pretty fun. I had a, a pretty decent program there, and I studied with Steve Kahn and played a lot of gigs. And uh, After a semester of that, I decided to go back to Miami. 
and just do it my own way and not take any academic courses. Mm-hmm. And with the eye on the prize being get all the information instead of getting the degree. So uh, I think so that would be fall 1984 that I went back there. Yeah. And then I was there for three semesters. And that was a time when I was just working six nights a week, playing six sets a night in top 40 bands. Yeah. It was awesome. I bet it was awesome. Stamina that you get from doing that. That's the pure, I can play six sets a night. (laughs) Six sets a night. (laughs) Playing Prince tunes and all the pop stuff of the 80s, you know. Shred guitars in its heyday in 1984, right? Yes. My favorite guitar player on all that stuff was Alan Murphy. You know mm-hmm. who that is? I don't know who that is, actually. He played on, like, Scritti Politi and Go West and... Uh, what was the other stuff he played? He kind of sounded like Pop Holdsworth. Okay. Like, a lot of whammy bar, act, like, control and smooth, creamy tone yeah. stuff. But I really liked him. Uh, anyway, yeah, playing six nights a week, six sets a night. Downtown Miami? Or like all over the you place. You got to drive everywhere around there. We right? were we play West Palm Beach, West and Palm. then I had to drive back the next day. You know, or drive back For the same night right after an eight a.m. ear training class or something. Yeah, and be like, oh. wow, that's cool. Yeah, I like that part of Florida. Yeah, as I alluded to in the Caleb podcast. Yeah, I like I love South Florida. I think it's cool down there. It is. Yeah, there's a lot of cool people. There's a lot of cool people. Who were there other musicians like in that scene that are like New Yorkers now? Probably right. Like sure, your, Graham Hawthorne, your boy Graham Hawthorne, Andy Snitzer. I don't know who that is, but saxophone for Paul Simon. Okay, and everybody else. Pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty serious cat. Andy Snitzer. One time, I went to the Union to pick up my three checks that they had waiting for me, <clears throat> and I go there, and Andy's there. I'm like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" He's on the line getting his checks, and they come out with like a. a paper uh, shopping bag full of checks for him. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, I see. He's just... <laughs> Your focus is somewhere else that mine's not. <laughs> He's making checks. Yeah. A paper bag. You just picked up like 150 checks. And that's probably like a weekly occurrence for you. Okay. Good for this dude. Yeah, right? So... So 80s, Miami, crushing it, six nights a week, three semesters, and then you were like... Well, back. after three semesters, uh, my friend Rick Ferrabracci, you know him? I don't know. He, he plays with uh, everybody. He's an L.A. guy, and uh, he's sort of like the fusion bass player of L.A. Mm-hmm. Guy can play anything. So he got us all a gig with Rare Silk, who's a jazz vocal band uh, that was Grammy nominated in the 80s um, and they're sort of like Manhattan Transfer but weird and fun mm-hmm. like not as quite as stiff as Manhattan Transfer um, not, there's nothing wrong with Manhattan Transfer oh they're cool scuba to bebop <laughs> anyway uh, so we go on the road with them for a year yeah right we're traveling all over the place in a van like playing we open for miles in the Jacksonville Jazz Festival We and then we play little tiny clubs and we had a really good time, and then that ended, and I went back to Miami again after that for another year. Cool. Yeah. Well, how many singers are in Real Silk? Rare, Rare Silk was three singers. Okay. 
recently. When I was in it, I think they might have changed a lot. And then after we left, they disbanded. I'm not sure why. Rare Silk. So you went back to Miami. Went back to Miami. Went back to your bar, your club date gigs. You're like, shit, I gotta get my chops back. Well, it wasn't club date, big. it wasn't club dates. Top 40. All top 40. In bars. Mm-hmm. Like, get in a set band and then you play uh, every night, basically. Awesome. So you went back for more school, then. That was a joke. You didn't go back for the top 40 bands. Sure I did. I loved playing those. You love those gigs, right? I loved yeah. those gigs because it was something I, I knew I'd never get to do that again. Yeah. You know? It's the only one place that that happens. And, uh, I, you know, I knew that didn't happen in New York and that New York, New York, you would be playing a different style gig every night, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I went to back to Miami. I really, I mean, one of, part of the reason I went back to Miami is because they offered me a full scholarship. And they wanted me to be in their top big band, which travels a lot and did a lot of cool was really gigs. Super fun. Yeah. Yeah, I was there for two semesters, took all the last classes that I wanted, and then split, came back. Were you up playing here. like a hollow body at this point in time, or is this like, uh, were you playing like playing, a shred 80s machine? I was playing my Strat, which is not out. It's that black Strat? No, it's a. It looks like Freddy Krueger's face. I burned. It, it was a white Strat. Yeah. It was a white Squire in like 1984. I bought it, mm-hmm. like the first run of Squires, which are sick Squires, yeah, like Japanese Squires. And and uh, I didn't like that it was white, so I hung it in a doorway and burned it with a butane torch, <laughs> and then filled in all the gaps with uh, nail polish of different colors. Yeah, and then polyurethane over it, so it kind of looked like Freddy Krueger's. Skin or some Star Trek. Did it have a Floyd Rose? Beast or something. Floyd Rose. Yeah. Humbuckers. EM, EMGs. EMGs. <laughs> Which sound awesome. Those. Yeah, those they great. shred, right? Dude, Chris Kufner's dad was EMG. Chris Kufner's dad was EMG? Yeah, he was a big part of EMG. The guy who, like, made your pickups? Yeah. I knew this. I, I know that Kufner comes from, like, you know, he's like, look at this custom bass I made. Like, oh, that guy's like, I have a man crush on that guy, man. He's. Is he on the next Olympus show? You should get him on it. I would love to get him on it. He's so... You've, he's done your gig. He I, has, yeah. yeah. Yeah, He plays bass, and you're like, what in the hell? I love his technique, the way he's like so fluid and relaxed in his left hand and so rhythmic in his right. He's yes. really pretty amazing. And he has like it's just the fattest quarter note ever. When he plays mm-hmm. a quarter note, it's just, it sounds like a, my whole note. Yeah, he's amazing. We did the first session for the new Lupus Rear record yesterday. Oh my god. With uh, Yuval Leone and Jonathan Marin. At the same studio in Huntington? Yes, sir. How did it go? It went pretty good, yeah. <laughs> did you do, tra- <laughs> so if you're doing 20 minutes, do you do like three takes of each song and then kind of move on? Or um, The first record, what I did was I just said, hey, everybody, let's just play it like it's a game, play all the songs once, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this time I picked specific songs for each rhythm section, so um, we did two takes of each song, and then we did we only did two songs, and we did a jam that might become another song. Can we know who the other rhythm sections are? Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> or is it like something you're gonna <laughs> announce and release? I mean, um, Aaron Comas and Rich Hammond will be another one, and yeah. James Genus and No More Negroni will oh be the third God. one. 
I was trying to get JoJo and John Davis. Yeah. But JoJo is impossible to book, and he wasn't available until 2019, and I'll be away too, too much. So he'll be on number three, I guess. Yeah. Hopefully, if I can get him. He's really fun to do it with. I saw, I think the last time I saw you was with him, in fact. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. He's like a celebrity drummer, right? Like, JoJo's a force of nature. Yeah, You know, though, uh, I think all these guys are forces of nature. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron puts out his own albums, like, one a year. I mean, how do you... How does he do that? Uh, Is JoJo an L.A. guy? Mm Mm-mm. No, okay. JoJo's from Switzerland. Swiss. Okay, that explains it. I met JoJo in, like, 1990. I was living on Avenue A and 3rd Street. Mm Mm-hmm. And he used to come by all the time and, and hang out with Peter Herbert and uh, Fanny Gehrig, who were my roommates. Mm-hmm. And you guys would... Was he playing like that then, or...? He was into jungle, and that was the new thing. So he was on this electronic... doing electronic live for years, then? Yes. He's been developing that forever. Now he's got that amazing band, Nerve. Nerve. Yeah, his... His thing, his thing is kind of, it's like, um, when you play with him, I assume it's just all young drummers. <laughs> they're like, just, you know, they like flock to him, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I think, do you, you know Devin Collins? Oh, yeah. I, I love Devin. He's the one, he's like, you gotta, we gotta go check out JoJo, man. I'm like, who? Devin's, Devin's great, too. He's a sick drummer, too. But he, he's like, he's always studying. Anyway, when's the release date for this? 2019, probably? Maybe when you're on tour? I want to have it in my hands by February 1st, 2019. Because? So, because so uh, I'm going on tour with Joe Jackson on February 2nd. February <laughs> <laughs> I want to have some to sell on the road. Yeah. I listened to the new track that you did with um, Joe Jackson. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to mess it up. Absolutely fabulous. Fabulously absolute. F- fabulously absolute. That's like a band. You guys are so fabulously absolute. That video is amazing. Thanks. Who even filmed it? Actually, I was actually very into the shots. There's never like shots of heads. It's always like off center. Right. Yeah. And like out of focus. It's a cool video. It's I'll I'll attach a link to this. It's cool. Do you know who Flip Lipman is? No. Was? They did a super famous music video. He did a David Bowie documentary, and uh, Joe hired him to do a documentary with him, but then Flip passed away uh, about a month or so after he filmed us. So then I, I guess Flip's assistant or his crew finished up the three videos for that we did live, and I don't, I don't know what they're doing with the documentary aspect of it. They might keep doing it or not. I'm not sure. But that guy, super talented, amazing you got to watch his Bowie interview, his Bowie documentary. I will now. It's pretty amazing. Was, was he actually behind the camera and, like, actually, is he, he that involved, he or does he just kind of oversee where he wants things? He was a director. Yeah. A few camera people, and uh, he would sit with a screen in front of him and watch their shots and tell them what to do. It's literally visually striking. I was just yeah. like, this is so the way it was captured like so beautiful because it feels like in motion mm-hmm. you know what I mean like in right. it, yeah so it has like a you can't take your eyes off the video so it makes sense that it's uh, 
the super famous filmmaker. Because I was like... Cause I think he was, he was on his way to becoming super famous, and the Bowie thing certainly put him on the map. But he worked at Rockwood forever. He did all, a lot of Mark Giuliano videos by, or, and Jeff Taylor stuff for, for Ken, you know? Really? Like a long time ago. And did those videos have the same kind of like motion kind of concepts? I think so, yeah. I remember seeing them going, wow, that's amazing. How do they do that? Yeah, like it's, it's, yeah, that's so interesting. It just feels very musical. It feels very musical, yeah. Yeah. Because obviously, we were just talking about this. Like, everybody is a photographer now. Like, you and we have it in our pocket and everybody, you know what I mean? But when it is someone who can really do it, you like notice it. You're like, oh, there's something. The lighting is right. Was there smoke in the video? I think they did have some smoke machines that they blasted a little tiny bit taste, a little tastefully. T- tasteful <laughs> smoke. Yeah, it's not like 80s smoke, but it's just cool. Yeah. yeah. And how long have you guys been working? How long have you been working? You've been with Joe for a couple years now, right? Maybe? Started in 2015. Yeah. Did yeah. you just meet him on Avenue A and 3rd Street? or No. <laughs> You've known him since... No, actually, a a friend of mine, Andy Ezrin, played with him in, uh, I think it was like 2000, Uh, and also my friend Allison Cornell played with him. Mm -hmm. So uh, when Joe was looking for a guitar player, he sent an email out to a bunch of people, and Andy forwarded me the email and said, hey, you should try it for this gig. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like Joe. Maybe I'll do that. So then, But then I looked at Joe's email below, and he hadn't BCC'd people so it had the list of all the email addresses and names of people he sent it to there's like 30 people there steve vi like you know just yeah so i wrote to steve vi no steve <laughs> so but i did i reached out to some friends who were on that list and i said hey could you re- recommend me for this gig and i think like 10 of them wrote joe emails saying you should try teddy and then i got a call from joe and i and he said uh it seems like uh like ten of my friends think you're the greatest guitar player in the world, so I think I've I've got to audition you for my band. Would you like to do that? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So and I didn't really care if I got the gig or not. I was sort of like very uh, zen about it, you know. I mean, I, of course, I wanted it, but I wasn't course, like, yeah. I wasn't like, oh my god, I have to have a really nervous break my career. Yeah. So and I think that was good because I went to his place and I brought my giant pedal board there and set it up and. Because he, he specifically asked in his email he wanted somebody that could sing and was good with effects. Because I think he wanted to keep the band small. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, Is it a four piece that tours? Yeah. Yeah. So I I played the five songs that he gave me to learn with him and and he kept telling me to turn up. He was like, I can't hear you. Could you turn up? And I, I said, Well, I could, but it seems like a good level to me. Um, Maybe it's a good thing that you're telling the guitar player to turn up. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I'm not overpowering your piano. He goes, yeah, we'll turn up anyway. <laughs> um, so then, you know, we played some jazz together, and we played the songs that he gave me to learn, and, and then he asked me, uh, what's all this then? Pointing at my pedal board. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. you... <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I gave him the quick tour. And and my philosophy about pedals is, at least for Lupistra, um variety it's not about having 17 things on at once mm-hmm. it's about having 17 things to go between mm. right so I, I hardly ever have more than two things on at once <clears throat> so i show it to him and i give him a tour 
and I'm playing like weird synth sounds and like the all kinds of things, just every possible thing. I try to keep it tasty because I know his music is not super outlandish or anything. Yeah. And uh, and he's like, oh wow, and I think it got his wheels turning on. Like, how can I use this in my band? Yeah. So a couple of days later, he called and said, "Okay, you're in. Thanks for not making me audition anyone else." Oh dang! I was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm in the band. There you go. Yeah. And now it's uh, four years later. We're doing his 40th anniversary tour." That's amazing. I love playing with him. He's an amazing songwriter, uh, genius arranger. He's great at keeping things simple and coming up with the right stuff that just fits together and using our talents to make something bigger than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him. Is that the rhythm section that is in his band on the first Lupestra? No. No, Doug, Doug Yol and Graham Maybe. Graham Maybe's been playing with him for forty years. Forty more, years for more than that. Graham and and, and Graham and Doug, <coughs> Joe. Sorry. Graham and Joe were in bands before Joe had a band. Wow. That's Graham crazy. is an amazing bass player. He, I think we we played a hundred and three shows together in the last three years. Four years, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he messed up once. Once, yeah, I always make fun of him for that one. <laughs> like, dude, you messed up that one time. <laughs> <laughs> he's that guy. He's got a super strong mental game. Like, just he's always in super focused moment. and just able to bring rock energy to parts. That, and I think that's the main thing about Joe's gig that I've learned a lot from is that he gives us parts to play, and it's a very, very part-oriented band, but what he wants is you to play that shit with the maximum personality. He, yeah. does, he doesn't want stepping on eggshells stuff. You know, he wants full-on play my, play my uh, thing that I wrote like you just invented it right now. Yeah. With a lot of excitement. With a lot of, like, rock and roll. Yeah, rock energy. That's cool. Or whatever energy the thing calls for. There's a lot of ballads and things. I'm playing string sounds. I'm playing synth things. I'm doing a lot of different... And you have to sing a bunch, too? A lot of singing. A lot of singing. That's a heavy band. You guys are going to be in New York... February 15th, 16th? February 15th, 16th. That's going to be amazing. Town Hall. Then so he, that's a hot gig. Is that the super cush gig? You eat and stay in five star hotels, and they fly you around on a private plane, that kind of thing. Well, I've got my own private. Plane You've got your own plane, Joe. And uh, Joe, Joe rides in the bus, you know, because no. <laughs> <coughs> I love being on the plane. bus, man. The bus is so fun. Yeah, it's just it's a joy, and those guys, everybody in in the band and crew is super fun to be with, and it's a family. Yeah, you know, your wife will miss you. I will miss her probably more than she'll miss me. She'll probably be like, oh, the house is nice and neat now. (laughs) (laughs) That's super funny. What do you got, Paul? Come on. I'm looking at my notes. I'm just making sure. No, I talked about all the things. Like, I'm just making sure. I'm making sure I got what my points are. You And you you have some other huge names here in your little list. Riggy Lee Jones, Feist, Manny Snails, Phil Lesh. Come on. 
<laughs> Come on. Come on. And Tim Kubar? Tim Kubar yeah. will be a guest on Secret Famous. Oh, he should I'm be. Trying. He's amazing. He, he is, is amazing. My little plaque. There's the Grammy right there. Yeah. And your first P-Base right there. That actually, uh, a homeless guy sold that to me for 30 bucks on 2nd Avenue in the 90s. And it, the bridge is too far forward, so it doesn't play in tune. But I just I just like the way it sounds. So I, sometimes I get it out and and it, I have it against the heater thing so that it just like gets really super dry and horrible sounding. <laughs> you know how you know how volume is a dynamic? Yes. Everybody you say, Oh, that guy plays with dynamics and it's about volume. Yeah. Always. Mm-hmm. There's other dynamics. Out of tune? Tuneness? Dry, wet. Driver's wet? What else is there? Your, the dynamics? I mean, I guess... Sophisticated, I, I, bonehead. <laughs> <laughs> maximum personality versus not maximum personality? Anonymous versus maximum personality? Yeah. I love I love the dynamic. Like, when you take dynamics to all those levels, you can make people jump up and down easier. <laughs> That's true. And then you have uh, your main bass out here. I love this bass. It's good. Yeah. It's a Supro. It's a short scale or something, right? It is, yeah. You you work with this company. You're the biggest Supro fan in the NYC Guitar Geeks Unite page. <laughs> there was like, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, check out the Supro. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, yeah, I'm connected with them. I'm really good friends with the president. David Coltai, who is a force of nature, and I'm, uh, I uh, use their stuff on tour, and uh, their amp designer, Tommy Elliott, mm-hmm. it's a very close friend of mine. They're based in Long Island? They are. They're in Port Jeff, where I grew up. It's a part of the reason we got connected, because um, I think when I first met Coltai, I was like, where are you? And he's like, I'm in Port Jeff. I'm like, what? You're like, what? It's crazy. I'll come my see my house. mom and have some food and then go to see you. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good day. Yeah. yeah. And then you're you're their guy. Well, um, they ask my opinion on things sometimes. Yeah. Um, I've done NAM, the NAM show for them. Are you going to do it this year? times. I can't do it this year. Um, I don't think I really want to be doing booth guy stuff anymore. I think after I've done it, I think four years, and after a while, you're like, you know, that was good. Now it's time to do something else. So, I've never been to that. Oh yeah, it's pretty fun. It, I, the best part about it is you get to see all the people that you never get to see, all in and one spot at one time. I get to see my friend Andy Timmons, my roommate from college. Yeah, I get to see a bunch of people that I never see and and hang out and like laugh our freaking heads off. It's, yeah, it's pretty fun. And I feel like... And after a while, it stops being about the gear. And it's just about the people. It's just about the hang? Yeah. Did you ever do the Lupistra? You did it, right? As a gig? I did a Lupistra at NAMM. Yeah. I, I did a... I have a, some friends who run a company called Blue Mouth Promotions. Is it Productions or Promotions, Julie? I forgot. It's one of those. Blue Mouth. Blue Mouth. Don't put things in your mouth that are blue. That are blue. Okay. Um her and her brother Rodney Cord run this company, and they uh, book tours for Andy and um, 
bunch of other bands, Mike Keneally. Um, and they took me on, and then they had a big show at NAMM. Yeah. And who was in the called rhythm section? X, there? Called X-Gem. Uh, who was in the rhythm section? That was Nomar Negroni and uh, Hagar Ben-Ari. How do you, what, how do you, what, like, this, this rhythm section, is, do you have, like, a home base rhythm section? Your college friends? When you play with them, you're like, uh, oh, I've been working on this vocabulary with them for 40 years. Do you have? Um, or do well, you feel like with each new rhythm section, you're like, okay, I have to write a whole new licks. Like, are they going to go into swing? Are they going to, or can you, mm. have you worked with so many drummers now, you can anticipate, like, okay, if Dion did this weird feel thing here, Pelton's going to do this here, like, Mm. And you hear a new drummer, you hear Keith Carlock and whoever, you're like, oh, they're going to do this thing. Um, for Lupistra, it's a very specific gig. And when the gig is good, everybody who's playing the music thinks it's horrible. <laughs> so if you're on stage going, yeah, this is pretty cool, yeah, this is pretty good, yeah, it's probably not sounding how it's supposed to. <laughs> so basically the theory of Lupistra is that... You get together with some people and you make some stuff up, and yeah. the less they know about the music, the better. Like, people always ask me, is there any stuff I should learn or check out? And I'm like, please do not look at any YouTube videos of other people doing it. I want you to just react. And the, what that does is it boils away all the thinking and all the like presupposition of, of going to a gig, and it leaves you with personality. Yeah. That's it. If you don't have a personality, don't do the gig. That's happened before. Yeah. Not going to name names. You know who you are. They come on stage (laughs) and are like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Or they just don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah, because your gig assumes a lot. They have to be able to groove and still improvise. I try to get people that I know are going to be open enough to, to bring something to the table. Yeah. And sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. It's an experiment. It's an ongoing experiment. So, for example, for your recording session yesterday for Lupistro Volume Two, they they knew nothing going in. Uh, they kind of knew one of the songs we played, and the other one, the other one, nobody can know because I don't know it. It's, it's it's made up at the time. The only thing that's said is maybe the, your lyrics. I have lyrics and and two chords that happen over and over and over again, and and an idea of. And a hopefully, it'll get messed up at some point. <laughs> you know. Yeah. The whole point is to just mess it up, to make a mess. Yeah. A sonic mess. Um, but you know, humans have taste. So if you're making a mess, at some point, your human side is going to come in and clean it up. Yeah. Well. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, it's like, just you, you know when it's really happening, the musicians on our stage are like, oh, fuck, this is sucking right now. Well, every time I played a gig that I thought was terrible while I was doing it, I listened back to it and went, wow, that's the shit. This is the best one? <laughs> this is the one where like the, you feel like the train's going to crash the whole yes, time? Yes, you just, everybody hold hands and jump off the cliff together, so it's about trust and personality. And not everybody likes that. No, well, and nor should they. You know, a lot of people want control. Yeah. Right. But then the control ends up being how do you handle that and how do you take care of each other while you're holding hands jumping off the cliff and like does one guy grab onto a handhold and save the bunch 
Or do you just go down and crash on the bottom and then lick each other's wounds? What do you, you know, how does it work out? Yeah. It's the randomness of it is what attracts me to it. I I spend a lot of time organizing music for people and uh, I love doing that too. Um, As, yeah, that's like your professional Teddy. Professional Teddy is a good organizer. Yeah. I can, I'll organize your shit. It'll be good. (laughs) <laughs> like when you're in your producer role or your yeah, guitar I don't, player I role. mean, I'm more of, I guess, you know, I don't want to cut myself out of any gigs, but um, it doesn't seem like uh, producing is a viable career option these days. Do you know what I mean? Maybe you don't know what I mean. I'm, I'm, For I'm, me, I'm, like, I, I feel like people are better. Their own a producer. lot of people have ideas about music and they do it in their house yep. and it comes out really good and mm-hmm. then all they need is somebody to at the end go oh this has too much bottom or this has you know yeah so I've sort of naturally gravitated towards being more of a mixer which can involve production decisions of course yeah do you do mastering and stuff like that too or I do what I could call fake mastering yeah <laughs> Just put the plug in on him. He's like, yeah, it's good. Sounds mastered to me. Right. Yeah. So that's cool. So, like, when you're not guitaring, you're mixing. That's your... Or playing gigs. Yeah. Played a lot of gigs. Well, you play a million gigs. Yeah, yeah, I mean... One thing I love about New York, like, this week, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a gig with my, my friend R.J. Rabin on Friday, who's an amazing drummer and puts it put out this album um that's very diverse material sort of funky raw funky instrumental tunes and then super sweet vocal tunes so we're doing that gig on friday and then the day before that i'm doing a recording session of a classical piece where i have to play 400 bars of music with a wind section and henry hay on nylon string or on electric it's electric and it's uh half of it is sort of i don't know the sound is like king crimson country almost mm-hmm. and then the other half of it is fuzz guitar and it's all reading you know just reading just a reading gig yeah reading but it's you have to it's the same as joe you got to bring the personality to that you can't just be like a robot right mm-hmm. and then um uh tonight i have a gig with bump city which is a tower power cover band mhm It's nonstop in New York. It's amazing. I, you know, I've always loved that about it, and I don't think there's anywhere else that that happens. I think if, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to uh, pigeonhole any cities, <laughs> but it seems to me that if you move to Nashville, you're probably going to be playing a lot of country music, yes. at least to get yourself started, or maybe you're just going to live in your own world and figure out another way of going I know a lot of people who have moved there who are doing really well who have nothing to do with the country music scene Mm -hmm. so I think to some extent you make your own scene Um, but there is a lot of musicians something about just the availability of gigs in a place that can appeal to certain personalities right Mm -hmm. Uh, and for for me I like playing a lot of different things I love playing country music but I don't want to play it all the time right no and I don't really want to go on the road with Leon Rhymes. No. Not really. <laughs> no way. 
And then, what you, what's your take on the LA scene? Then you have friends out there. Like, what are they playing? I feel like I don't know. they don't really play gigs. No, I'm like you guys just hang out at home and like make tracks all the time. Like maybe right? Do you go? But it, what we do that too, don't hang. we? Yeah, we do that. I think it's like a, I think it's a little bit of different culture. Well, first I, of all, just subway versus driving stuff. Yeah, but it's sort of the same amount of time and just more distance there, right? Mm-hmm. Hurricanes versus earthquakes and fires. It's a very know. different thing. Yeah, I don't know. I know, I know a lot of people in LA, and they all do different kinds of things. So, yeah, there's like the huge tour scene. There's like the yeah. producer. I just know two more people who do that. There's like the song co-writing, engineering yeah. kind of scene. Yeah, I know friends in that scene, but I don't know anybody who's yeah. like just a street musician. You know what I mean? Who's just like. Like playing it, fucking a different gig every night. Like you're saying, like New York, like you could be doing a wedding Saturday and then I'm playing yeah. a singer-songwriter gig Sunday and then Tuesday night I'm playing someone else's weird country gig. You know, like... Right. I assume that has to go on I don't there, know what right? happens in L.A. I think it, it's a different... It seems like there's a lot more musicians there. Like, a lot more. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, my friends are all my age, so... Like, one of them is Alex Warman, who is a film scoring composer. Is this where you did Anchorman? And- yes. Yeah. And uh, and uh, Patriot Season 2 just came out that he did. Nice. Uh, so he's never playing any gigs. He's just trying to get the next film. Yeah. And uh, he tries to stay creative by writing his own interesting kind of uh, concept song stuff. It's pretty cool. Uh my friend John Paterno is a mixer, so he he's doing that. Um, Tim Lefave. He's into Tedeschi trucks. Yeah, that's a huge gig. So I'm so when he comes home, he probably I don't know what he does when he comes home. What does he do? He's he's like the super famous bass player now. He's the yeah. <laughs> he's I'm sure done. Lupistra. He's done Lupistra. You know, I had a lot of fun with him on Lupistra. He was. He was a. Uh, I'm a smartass. I don't know if you've noticed that. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that about you, Teddy. <laughs> um, and uh, I liked him because he's a, such a he's just a dirty bastard, smartass motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have my CB mic sitting on the stage yeah. that I'd pick up once in a while and say stupid things into it, and Tim would always pick it up and go talk about working out like. Riding his bike. Buys and tries. You go yeah. into like this voice of workout guy. <laughs> Glutes and abs and buys and tries. Here we go, everybody. Work it out. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, LA, New York is a special place, though. I actually listened to Lupus for Volume 1 while I was in Barcelona. When wow. Did you, when did you release it? What were you doing there? I love Barcelona. It's cool. I was visiting my nephew. Wow. My wife and I were hanging out, and I was on Spotify. And we were just hanging out in our apartment, and my, it just, your record just felt like the most perfect uh, little morsel of home to play for my, I was like, a real New York album, I remember just being like, this is fucking disgusting, like, but it was funny to listen to it for the first time in Barcelona, it was like a one little moment of New York that I right. took in. Well, Does it sound like New York? It sounds like the most New York record ever. It's really? like, there's so much... New Yorkness in it, you know what I mean? Huh. Why? 
Because it's it's quirky, it's weird, but it's like aggressive, you know. Uh-huh. And it's uh, it's nonstop. It's, it's got the energy of New York in your record. You know what I mean? It's not uh-huh. like laid back Euro drinking wine. It's more like drinking coffee, riding the subway, like let's go, baby. You know what I mean? Drinking too much coffee. Drinking too much coffee. It's kind of it's got that it's got a very New York energy to it. Right. Yeah, that's the thing in, in that band, I guess, is that things can get pretty out of hand. and and still in a way you're doing just pop tunes you know what i mean like it's still almost a singer-songwriter gig that's taken to the extreme you know what i mean because you're still singing tunes you're not it's not just guitar crushing us you know what i mean it's like you're like here's a hook i do try to keep it somewhat palatable yeah (laughs) at least on records did you ever do like this solo singer songwriter thing? Yeah, I've done that. Yep. You, where you take the acoustic guitar and that's the most frightening thing I've ever done. That's the hardest gig. Oh my ever god, write. dude! That's. I mean, I've written a lot of songs that are that lend themselves to that, and uh, when I've done that, like I feel like I have to practice for like a month before I can even have the courage to go on stage and sing and play acoustic guitar at the same time. Like, it's, it's the hardest gig. So frightening. Yeah. Um, but I think that's because I haven't done it a lot. I think people that do it all the time are just like, they'd be frightened if they got in Lupistra and had to play a guitar solo, right? Yes. No, they don't <laughs> like that. Then they're like, what the hell? What? Why does it all sound broken? Yeah. <laughs> now, I noticed on your podcast that there's no playing. Well, at least on the ones I listen to. <clears throat> Let's play. Nobody played anything. I, well, I, the Pete Francis one. Mm. I haven't listened to that one yet. You know that guy? No. He's a New York. Did he play something? Yeah, he like he's a because he's a, like solo singer songwriter. So we played some guitars, and he did. He does that thing. He feels very comfortable in that role. You know what I mean? Like singer songwriter guy. Singer songwriter guy. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to make playing more of it, more of the podcast, but I. Like you just said, I don't think people listen to music anymore. I don't even... I I did... Someone gave me the idea in 2012. They're like, you should do a podcast. You would be good at this. Where you write a song with someone mm. and we're recording the process of writing the song. Which a couple people are doing already. That mm-hmm. got developed. So I was like... That could go horribly wrong. Too, that right? could go so shitty. And <laughs> there's so many parts of that process that are not fun. Right. You know what I mean? So I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. So to, uh, my thing was more the like the human interest. You know what I mean? Who is Teddy Kumpel? We have no idea now, but we just have more questions, I think. But he's an enigma wrapped in a legend, <laughs> wrapped in a mystery. What's really here? <laughs> you know? So I think that's why. And then like, so I played... self-deprecating egoist. Just <laughs> <laughs> teacup. So I, that's why I found it easier to take existing recordings. For example, in this, I wanted my favorite track of yours. It's from your 2008 The Man Teddy Kumpel record. Oh, yeah. I'd Grow a Mustache for You. So, I mean, in uh, my mind, that was the track that I would play out of this hang. You sure. know what I mean? That's a, that's a favorite. That's a fan favorite. I feel yeah. like I saw you do that in the Lupestra years ago. Yeah, what I, with Lupestra, sometimes I would just take lyrics from my old songs. 
that were singer-songwriter songs and make them into Lubistra songs, just play whatever and, and sing them. Yeah. Somehow, you just, know. We're jumping off the cliff. It doesn't even yeah. matter what the melody is, actually. Just, there's words that mean something, right? Yeah. And there's rhythms. Because <laughs> I heard that, and then that's when I checked out that album. Oh, cool. Which I bought, and you even wrote me a direct email. Thank you for buying my album. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's really nice of this guy. I just want to listen to these tunes, man. Sweet. Sweet guy. So that was the (laughs) song. Tell us about that song. Do you have a mustache right now? I do? Yeah, sort of. He's got a really light goatee. Yeah, I think I, uh, that song, uh, I think that was, yes, that was when I was with my ex-wife, and... She didn't like when I was like two day like you know two day shadow. She didn't like the scratchiness, mm-hmm. so she preferred there being a mustache full on to that. And I was I'm lazy about shaving. I don't want to. That's the last thing I want to be thinking about, right? Yeah, shaving sucks. <laughs> Actual shaving? Yeah. You actually shave? I shave here every day. Mm-hmm. Like every three days. Yeah, it's hard to do, right? Yeah. It's like... It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> you're like, I could do that? And then you're like, no way. No way. That's why I'm with my head. I'm like, how does Kenny Shaw... How do you maintain that level of cleanliness in your head? Kenny's a... He's keeping it, keeping it clean, right? He's keeping it so clean. He's like Kojak. He gave you the ultimate compliment, you know, because Kenny's a quiet guy. He's like probably yeah. my best friend, you know? <clears throat> And I, I remember asking him how... For those who don't know, Kenny is an amazing drummer. Amazing drummer. Who uh, is just a total sweetheart and man about town. Man about town. Taking care of business. I just asked him, I was like, how was the uh, Rebecca Havlin and Whiskey Heart recording? Mm. And his response was, Teddy Kumpel is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> as a human? <laughs> no, as a player. <laughs> <laughs> I think as a human, too. What a ridiculous... Guy, no, because he came to the front door with Mickey Mouse ears. <laughs> <laughs> Trying out my new looks. I'm working on some new looks. No, so for him to say that, like, that was fun to do that recording. Rebecca's amazing. Rebecca's amazing, right? Yeah. And they said every take you would take, they'd be like, "Oh fuck! All right, well that was probably the take, but let's take another one." Like, oh shit, that could be it too. Yeah, um, I think that. That was an interesting session because, and Rebecca even said something to me afterwards. Um, we kept playing the songs over and over again, and everybody kept trying to perfect their parts, right? Mm-hmm. And but my theory was like, well, you already got that shit. I'm going to play something else this time. I'm not trying to perfect anything. I'm just trying to give you some options. Yeah, and that shit was pretty good. So here's some other good shit. Here's some different shit. Yeah, you know, and it's Pro Tools, it's playlists, so you can just like copy between them, right? Yeah. So she she said. You played different on every take. We had so much to choose from. Thank you. Nice to hear. She probably what she probably meant was. I God wish you would have played it. the same shit every time. God Why'd you damn play it! Why did she do that? That's funny, man. <laughs> That's true. Someone said that to me recently. They were like, "You know what I hate about you, and what I love about <laughs> you is that you never play the same shit. When I'm even trying to do the same thing, I just play a different shit." And you're like, "Yeah, oh, don't you?" Why does it have to be perfect? What do you I think, think about perfect this? is a dynamic also. It's a boring. Sterile and messy are a dynamic. Right? Yes. And uh, I, thought, I thought for Rebecca's music that a little bit of mess goes a long way. Sort of, you know, 
like her music can can be very open when it's loose and when you're playing the same thing all the time and trying to perfect it loose is the last thing that happens so I guess that's where I was coming from is trying to hint at something all the time and just support whatever she was doing and she wasn't doing the same thing every time either she was she sings different phrasing every time yeah so I was just sort of reacting to her so it's her fault it's your fault Rebecca this <laughs> <laughs> is why I love that dude Chris she's married to man that guy's he's so funny he's an animal <laughs> he's he's the best he's hilarious yeah what about Andrzejczyk? Another Let's just legend. talk about all the people that you've had podcasts with. Andrzejczyk is great. <laughs> did you listen to the Andrzejczyk one? I did. Did you really? I did. See, no one really listens to music anymore. You listen to podcasts. I listen to music and podcasts. What music did you I was, check out? I was listening to yours because I was like curious about, about the vibe of your podcast. Yeah. And I liked that you were uh, interviewing people that are not so well-known. This is true. Yeah. So it's it's the whole point of it, right? Like, don't you think when you listen to all these, like, celebrities, like, they're so boring. I'm like, yeah, I would hang out with... celebrity, I mean... Like, any of my music... You could pick any of my musician friends, and they're way more entertaining than a Brad Pitt interview. Or... It depends on the interviewer, too. Like, I mean, if you were to interview Brad Pitt and be able to bring your not-give-a-fuck stance to him... Maybe he would open up to you in a different way than a professional interviewer would. You know what I mean? Possibly. But Mark Maron is similar to you. He's able to get people to go to weird places. Yes, he's he's very good. Yeah, he talks. He's yes. like so into his his own weirdness. Yes, makes other people <laughs> be like, maybe I'm normal. You know? Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'm okay. This guy's so fucking out. You know, like Mark Maron. <laughs> and I really like. I've gotten really into the Joe Rogan dude. Have you checked oh, him I haven't out? Listen to him yet. His thing is a little overwhelming because he drops like 17 podcasts a day. So there's two. He's, he's too wow. much. He's like the king of the art form, you know. Wow. And he could do smart people and he could do comedians who are also smart. But I'm talking like scientists. He does the whole spectrum, you know. Mm. It's a different thing. Yeah, I do music. I do podcasts. I do audiobooks. You have your own podcast. No, I mean, I tried to have one for a second and cool. then I gave up. I just saw it quick this morning. I was like, I gotta check this out. I gotta ask him about this. What is it? Is it was it a playing one? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. It was like ten years ago when it first started out. I tried to do one, and, and I think I did one or two. And, and then I don't even know if I knew how to do it. Like, well, I don't think I know how to do it. You know what I'm? I'm doing it though. You know. Well, yeah, but you gotta have a song, and your intro shit is good, right? And you're gonna go on and be like, dude, today we're gonna talk with Teddy Couple, and you're gonna, ah, yeah. You can do all your singing stuff that I love. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Teddy! That's well, my, I do that that's because my mad imitation. <laughs> I try. I try to get so hyped up because I want it to be yeah. energy for people. I want people to feel like the energy, you know. Well, yeah, right. Because I don't. There's. I don't want people to listen to it and be like relaxing or falling asleep. I want you to be like. I like podcasts. Podcasts are good. No one's gonna check it out then, you know. So when I do those intros, I psych myself up by right. I play my piano a little bit, jam up, get amped up. 
When you write songs, do you have a magic chord in all your songs? Or are you like, are you like, how do you write songs? I usually chords write matter? to the groove. Groove. groove I matters. pick like the drum beat first. Lately, sure. that's what I've been doing. Like, yeah. I'll hear a song, and I'll say, I like that groove, I'm going to steal it. I want to write my own song to that groove. Oh, so you'll be inspired by somebody else's song that has a nice groove that you like. Yeah, usually it's like from, lately, this is in the past couple months, it comes from the drums. Yeah. I played drums all through high school. So it's oh. to me like the rhythm oh, is that makes the sense. first thing, right? Yeah. That comes first. And then I try to get a, like a melody. That's mm. what I've been doing lately. Mm. Because I feel like I'm writing alone to a machine like this. You know what mm. I mean? Mm-hmm. What's, but, but I... Back in the day, when I was way more into chords, like in a jazz influence zone, that's where... What do you mean the magic chord, though? What does that mean? Um, one thing that I do with a lot of people when I'm working with them is try to find the magic chord for the song. And... uh I feel like a lot of people who are really good songwriters will have a, a beautiful and complete song, and they'll be like, something's missing. And usually it's just the magic chord, like that one chord that makes your eyebrow go up, go up right before the bridge or at the end of, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at some point in the song. So it doesn't Can I show you? Yeah, of course. So it doesn't necessarily relate to the key. A supro? It's a supro into a supro. Full oh, supro. Oh, jeez. This is what you need. That's what I need. Teddy plays the one millimeter sharps. The weirdest pick ever. One millimeter sharps. Jim Dunlop. Such a weird pick. Why? I don't know how people play the sharps. When I was a little kid, like seven, eight years old, I used the round yeah. one millimeters. And I would always go out to the curb and file them down so they were sharp. <laughs> I don't know why, I just liked it better. I still do. This feels more accurate. So say you got your song, right? And you're like, this is my song. It's pretty good and it keeps doing this over and over again. Right? Mm-hmm. La, 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 la. And then you're like, hey, I want to change the chord there. So I got my progression that goes... And then the last time I do that, the last time I do that, I want a different chord there. Well, what chord would you use? E flat. E flat what? Major seven? Sure. Okay. It's my song. I'm gonna change to an E flat chord. That's beautiful. Instead of D. Instead of D seven? Okay, what other one could you use? What if you just move the bass notes down in half steps and found all the chords? That's always cool. Here's my song. I like songs and they're pretty good. Here's my song. I like this song and it's pretty good. I like this song. Everybody likes this song. That chord's always killer. How about this song? Here it comes. Here comes B flat and bass. B flat six. Here is my song. I like songs. How about you? How about you? No. <laughs> G you wouldn't want to use because you're going to it from that one, right? It's already or happened. how about you? That's good. Or how about you? Or, you know? Yeah. I think I, that's one of my... That's a T-Cumple songwriting trick. Yeah. But you don't get to use that magic chord. It's not my trick. 
the know, magic cord? Just experimenting. It's not being afraid to try new things. So be, you can find the magic cord when you hit that flavor and you go, oh, that's my song with Polly Magic. He's got a song with a magic cord. <laughs> that's a good technique. I like it. Where's the magic cord? That assumes you got a lot of harmony together. Is this your signature T-Comp guitar now? Nope. Where's that X? That's a prototype Supro. Where's my signature guitar at? This is... Who's going to want to buy a signature guitar with my name on it? Can That's I take silly. a picture of you with this guitar? Sure. Here's my song. Yeah. Yes. This blue machine with... You love... You love... This is your 80s-ness. Right? Up and down. Yeah. What is that, Trevor? This is Dead Spar. Uh, that's a cool one. It's the only one that works on this guitar because it was a stop. It was a, uh, what do you call those? Wraparound. Wraparound? It bridge? was a wraparound like a PRS. Mm -hmm. That's the only one that would work without hacking up the guitar. And you only like weird guitars. You don't like Strats and Tellys. I love Strats and Tellys. What are you talking you about? You never play a Strat and Telly. I play them all the time in the studio. <laughs> but live. Live, I, li I, like, I like semi-hollows, basically. I'm a semi-hollow guy. Yeah. I grew up playing an Ibanez AS100. Like Just that. like this one. That's yeah. not the exact one, but like that one, yeah. So, but you like single coils, too. I do. So you like a hollow body with single coils. I love that. That's I learned that from the Geek page. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were right. I feel like I always got to not like single coils, but they're I think they're the most expressive. I like them so much better. Like I never feel comfortable on a humbucker. This is a single coil noise canceling and this is a Firebird pickup. So Firebird pickups are super bright humbuckers. Right? Yeah. And then this single coil. That's sort of like a, a Fender sound, right? And you yeah. put them together. And that's the Teddy Kunkel sound. And what I, I use the tone control a lot, so I'm not, I'm hardly ever have it all the way up. You know, I'll, I'll ride that thing all night. You know, if I'm playing lead, I'll turn it down a little bit. That's cool. I guess. I don't know. It's just a way to do it. Well, no, I, I think pickups react. Some, do you know, you know our mutual friend John Caban? Of course, he hipped me to that. Yeah. Um, well, John is a is a sound uh, genius. He is I would a say. sound genius, right? Yeah. He's taught me a lot. Yes, and he About he tone. taught me that. He was just like, you know, you don't always have to have the tone at. Because I think I would just turn it all the way down and do the jazz box thing mm. you know what i mean and, but then he learning to like just cut it to eight or seven that's what you're saying you're not saying cutting it all the way like down to i do that too but um especially for jazz like i don't think that this is a good that's not a good jazz sound you know? why did that become the jazz sound someone a little student just asked me that recently like why and i was like because nobody's think... listening to jim hall listen yep. to jim hall alone together tons of high end on the guitar beautiful it's all about touch and a clean amp. 
cleanup. But yeah. Benson and Wes, they rolled the tone, right? Do they? I don't know. Those early Benson records, it's so it's it's like so much no tone that he's like overdriving the amp, right? Huh. I don't know. You're disagreeing. It's okay. I mean, Wes certainly has the tone up on his guitar. So why do the okay? How about the modern? I, th- players? I think modern people who <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why because I wouldn't do that because I like high end on a guitar, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure what the rhyme or reason is for turning your tone down to try to get a jazz sound other than it's too high-endy and you're overreacting. Right? Probably. You're overreacting. Did you turn your tone all the way down? Yeah. You're overreacting. <laughs> That's another <laughs> dynamic right there. Overreacting or underreacting. Oh, yeah. Stoicness versus explosiveness. Being crazy, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well... This is good. Thank you for hanging. How about, how about, are we done? No. I just have to pee. Now oh. I have to pee. You offered me, you're like, do you have to go to the bathroom now? And I was like, no, the mics are on. Let's go, Teddy. Do you play rhythm with your pick? Like that? Do you do that? Only, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Do you never do this? With your fingertip? No. Because to me, like that... This almost had too high, too much high end. Too much pick sound. Too much weird high endy shit. Yeah, I'm find myself doing this more and more. That Do you feel that rips your finger up though? Who cares? Rips your finger up. Well, it would be. Just, I always have a bloody spot. I even have it right now. I have this weird. Oh, if you're hang-nail. if you do this stuff, I would a lot. be. I would honestly be bleeding. Yeah. Yeah. Then it can get your finger ripped up but uh, no it's just i think it's all about touch and you yeah know, you just learn to do everything softer because you don't really need to play super super hard on guitar unless you're right yeah i like to play very aggressively and hard all the time all the time well pretty much not all the time i'm trying to learn i'm working on that yeah yeah like Me greg too. you know greg mayo i do he's the lightest Touching guitar player of all time. He has a beautiful touch, that's right. Yeah, he's a beautiful touch, and he plays so soft. His action's so low. He plays with a light pick. Yeah. And I was like, "How the fuck do you do this? Like, I, I can't do that." Like, I don't like the light pick. I can't use the light pick. I don't like it when the pick bends. I like to have like a, and I like the pick to be a, a extension of my of my hand. So I feel like when the pick bends, that it's somehow strange I don't know I know a lot of guys who use light picks and they can play super shred fast shit with it yeah because they can get it to bounce around mm-hmm. no but I could never figure out how to do that and I never really had the desire to be a super shredder fast guy like I'm more of a I'm, I play melodic reasonably fast sometimes you do some shredding yeah don't uh, understate your shredding like, but uh, I've heard you do some shredding but it's kind of faker shredding like I have like three licks that I play you know, just Three end, notes per string. End on different. End on different notes. Yeah. <laughs> end on the nine. <laughs> That's funny. Do you uh, want to go pee now? You want to take a break? Yeah, let's take a pause for the cause. Okay. Did it work? What? See that you just it. Uh, you want want to pause? Uh-huh. Your machine. While Paul's in the bathroom, uh, let me just say that 
he's got a very nice smell. He's got, I don't know what cologne he's wearing, but it's really, really, really good. And I'm going to ask him uh, if he can recommend uh, what fragrance I should be getting into. Bathroom. It's a clean bathroom. You like the bathroom? Yeah. Good. Are we back on? Yeah. That's a very clean bathroom, Teddy. You're very clean. (laughs) Or is it your wife? Who does all the cleaning? (laughs) That's like super clean. Do you guys clean? I clean a lot, but not to that level of cleanliness. Really? Yeah. I think she thought about somebody was coming over, so she spruced up. Do you clean? Dude, that's not a good question to ask me. Really? You asked me if you said, do guys clean? You're snaking around here. You're snaking me. Uh, this is My wife's from Taiwan. Feng Shui. She's from Taiwan. She is... Um, she has taken over the kitchen, and I'm not allowed in the kitchen anymore. Excuse me? I'm not allowed to go in the kitchen. You're kidding me. When she's in the kitchen, oh, okay. and I try to go in the kitchen, she's like, what do you want? Well, there's, I, I have a similar thing with my wife. Yeah, it's too small in there, though. I can't right. go in Our there. Our kitchen is too small. If, if it was bigger, I could go in and help chop things, and, and I would. Yeah. Uh, I'd be a perfectly willing participant and assistant, but I'm a lame-ass chef. <laughs> <laughs> so, very thankful to have her. She's an amazing chef. You don't have even, like, a couple meals? Like, I could do, like, a, fry some kind of curry. Pizza, curry. You know, maybe, or a toast. I don't know. Toast. Yeah, I feel like everybody's got like a couple meals that they omelets. got. Omelets. That's classic. It's from single guy culture. You got to be able to do eggs. Right. Maybe some bacon, you know. Right. It's crucial. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a a very lucky guy, I would say. Wait a second. So that's the bedroom. Yeah. How do you do you mix in headphones at night? Oh, I don't work at night. In here. Unless I really, really have to, but I keep everything in, you know, mostly speakers. Yeah. Got my subwoofer. You have a sub? I do. Where? Under the desk. Did that change the game of mixing for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then where's your, where's the... I don't think a subwoofer is crucial. I think it depends on the room. And this room is weird. When you're sitting really close, there's no bottom in these speakers. And then when you're sitting over there, there's too much bottom. Mm-hmm. So I felt like a subwoofer e- equaled out everything. There's not more bottom over there now, but there's the right amount of bottom here. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like if you set it up correctly with the right DBs. That's interesting. Not to get too technical with all the other people. Let's get who are a little out there. technical, but it's people okay. out there who aren't, you know, mixing engineers. You got to set up your. Uh, you got to set up your room right. You got to have it sound good. It's TV true ratios, though. What have you? And then, yeah, there's there's so much to talk about in here. This is such an awesome space. But <laughs> clearly, you clean in here, Teddy. This isn't like unclean. Right. It's a little, you know, it's a frantic. Here's my. This is my. Uh, your, I'm gonna take another picture, Teddy. That's was that your Halloween costume? Uh, or just you just keep this to scare your wife every now and then? She's not scared by this. <laughs> She's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> Did you were you anything for Halloween? Uh, I was a 
Did you have a Halloween? Cake? I was I was a relatively enthusiastic middle aged man. That's <laughs> <laughs> such a costume. Usually you're not enthusiastic. No, I'm a relatively enthusiastic middle aged man. No. I have a lot of friends who call themselves disgruntled middle aged men, middle-aged and man, I don't yeah. I can't get with that. I can't be disgruntled. I'm not a disgruntled person. But After therapy, right? Like, let's solve those problems? It might be something to do with therapy, but I, I don't know. I think I'm I'm fairly optimistic. But I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. You can only control what we can control, you know what I mean? Like, Dude, gotta know the difference. That. Gotta know the difference. You gotta know the difference, right? Like, it is what it is. It yeah. is what it is. And you have the Apollo. I have the same one. Yeah. Do you love that piece of gear? I do. It's amazing, right? I have two. I have this one, too. And that one. You have two? Why do you have two? More DSP. Come on, dude. This is fucking boring. All right. Let's, Let's get to something. the real shit. Sorry. <laughs> There's just so much to talk about in here. I'm so excited by it. <laughs> We've got the Chinese moon loot sitting next to you. Isn't that exciting? Do you play moon loot? Dude, that thing is amazing sounding. It sounds like Larry Carlton. Sounds like Larry Carlton to your Princeton. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. It's got the bendy. So it's like a scalloped fretboard. Yeah, check it out. In a way, right? And how is it tuned? It's so heavy. You do. This is the silly string. Yeah, I like this thing. And uh, it looks like very beautiful craftsmanship here. Right? Yeah, it's beautiful. I dig it. So, what's next? I mean, tell me the deal. You doing yoga too? Do some yoga. That's so Brooklyn of you. Gotta keep the shit loose, man. Yeah? Do you go to the yoga class or do you do it in here? I took some yoga lessons with Abby Ahmad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like I learned enough to kind of keep myself from falling apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm working on that myself. Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. Well, you're a lot younger than me, right? How uh, old are you, 40? I am 37. Yeah. But I, I feel like I've you been You don't look people, a day over 40. I'm... <laughs> my beautiful English genetics. I know. Um, but... <laughs> But I'm super stiff, so I'm trying to work on uh, oh, yeah. my flexibility. But I, I just talk about it. I don't actually do any of the yoga stuff. Right, right, right. I feel like it's um, the one thing... I mean, Abby taught me a lot of moves, but one of the philosophy things that she taught me, which I I carry with me, is doing a little tiny bit every day. Like, throughout the day. Just go, oh yeah, my thing... This, my hamstrings feel tight. I'm going to do that one move for like four minutes yeah at three o'clock in the afternoon that helps that you know and it's it's good to not have to face the whole rigmarole of a whole yoga sun salutation you know oh, class because it's like you gotta put the mat down you gotta, down, yes. you gotta get dressed up and so put on the sweatpants BS, and, yeah. and just you know so so i think that um a little bit of it goes a long way for me at least 
but I, I, I would like to be able to do a sun salutation every morning. I think that would be really good for me. Maybe on tour? That's kind of why I started doing it, because when you get on tour, you, you forget. Like, I walk around a lot on tour mm-hmm. and discover new cities and or super boring cities or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wherever you Hanging are. out in Jacksonville? Jacksonville's all right. Jacksonville's all right, uh, yeah. But it's funny when you travel to, in America and Europe, the difference, isn't it? It's very different. I mean, Europe is so much more fascinating. So much more history. Yeah. Everything's so old, and people are so... It, I do feel, though, like, across Europe, even across the countries, the culture is more similar than American... Like, the difference between a Little Rock, Arkansas, Hang... And a San Francisco hang. You know what I mean? Oh, you mean that's a huge difference? That's a huge difference things? compared yeah. to, like, if you could be the Barcelona culture compared to my time in Berlin or in yeah. Italy, it's, like, a little bit more similar of a vibe. The way the food is presented, the way the, the you know, certain parts of it. Hmm. This is a country <laughs> country divided right now. You know what I mean? Like, don't you think? There's just, like, such a huge mass where... The young, I don't know, the South, they don't know. What, what's going on in Texas, you know? We have no idea. I feel like an alien in Texas sometimes. Really? Not in Austin or not in Dallas, but like if you're in a small town, you're just like, what is going on? Right, right yeah. We ended up in, where was that? We had a day off in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. And it was like culture shock. Like you're in the middle of the desert and, you know. But then after you get over the initial shock of being in the desert and being in this totally different place, it's the same shit as everywhere else, really. It's the same shit. It's got a Denny's. It's the same as Rochester. It's got Walmart. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, in, in, it's, it's different in different ways, you know? Right. I think dining across Europe, like the whole... Dining reveals all. Dining <laughs> reveals all, right? <laughs> it really does, though. How is this going to go down? Especially in Italy. It's the best. <laughs> That's real living, right? We're just chasing after them. Went to a restaurant in Venice, and and I was and they didn't bring a menu. And I was like, uh, "Can we get a menu?" And, and the guy barely spoke English. And I my Italian's horrible, so the guys like, "No menu, no menu, just the wait." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay." Dude brings out like plate after plate until we go no more and he's like just another come on uh, you have to try this it was unbelievable meal and it was just whatever he decided to bring us and it was all awesome yes even the squid that looked like a squid full-on bite into it ink sprays everywhere all over the place was delicious delicious yes (laughs) (laughs) now that is never going to happen in armorillo texas did you uh, find that there? I didn't find squid with black ink squirting out. That's probably not going to happen. You could probably find some other interesting things there. Yeah. You could probably find really good crystal meth there. You could probably find really good drugs to do, yeah. <laughs> and I haven't... <laughs> have you done a lot of drugs, Paul? Not really. I think not people really? think I have. I mean, I smoke weed and drink beer, but like, I'm, yeah. I haven't really done... Like in the Caleb thing, like I've never done ayahuasca, I've never done mushrooms, I've never done mm. um, psychedelics of any sort. Mm. Have you? I did mushrooms and mescaline. 
once, twice, or like seven times? Or mushroom, all through your 20s? Mushrooms probably five times in my late 20s. So in New York? Yeah. In the city? Uh, or in the woods? You know, I, I, I did it once on top. I hiked to the top of Mount Wittenberg with my best friend, and mm-hmm. we did mushrooms, and we had the best time. That was just an amazing, uplifting uh, kind of self-realization time. Really, really good. And the other times I tried to take mushrooms, like I took it at a gig once. Wow, that's fucking weird. So, and this band was a Grateful Dead copy band. We're playing in Long Island somewhere. And you're doing the Jerry part? And No, I was like the... There was a Jerry guy, and then my friend whose band it was, and then I was like the whatever guy. He wanted Bob me. To, he Weir. wanted. I don't. I don't even know what I was. I was just me in, in a Grateful Dead band, yeah. and I didn't know the songs very well, and and I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. And you were just like, uh, um, I guess I'm going to take mushrooms. But but Joey Moskowitz, the keyboard player, and and Charlie, the dead, the Jerry guy, and me took mushrooms. And the bass player Joe and and James, the drummer, took blow. <laughs> they took blow, and they're all like super hyper, and we're like tripping. I was trying to tune my guitar, and the sound of the tuning was freaking me out. Like, just I was starting to get mesmerized by the pitch going up and down, and when you're playing. When I was playing on mushrooms, like my fingers looked like they were going way closer to my face than they were. So every time I bent a string, it would go right up to my face. Yeah, so freaking weird. Is there a recording of this show? Did you guys try? I think there must be. I think actually there is. I think Joey found it. Yeah. Did you? I remember that being like, oh my god. I don't think I ever got to listen to it, but I know there is a recording of it. I had to listen to it. It's probably really rubbery sounding. Yeah, or it just, I feel like drugs just like, I don't know that, I don't, I can't speak to that experience, but I, it, I feel like, like if you smoke weed and you get on stage, it just slows me down. Mm. Like everything is happening, I'm listening, but I'm like, so that, that to me, like, that's like a end of the day, the day right. is over. It's, right, yeah, right, I can't, right. I can't be, I know we have mutual friends who are incredibly productive stoners, and I just, sure. have, I have none of that in my DNA at all. Like I can't, that's it, I'm TKO'd. Right. Well, I think, um, I mean, I smoked weed for a pretty long time, and um, I found it to be hyper-focusing. Like, I could really focus in on one detail for as long as I needed to on it. Um, and I could I could uh, appreciate sonic beauty to a, a very high degree when I smoked weed. Mm-hmm. But I, f- I also feel now that I don't smoke it that it uh my perspective now it just could be age and experience too but i think that now everything is a lighter touch you know like where i would smoke tons of weed and eq a base for an hour it didn't really need eqing for an hour it probably sounded pretty good to start with and i was just really into eqing it because i was stoned you know what i mean yeah and now i'm like oh yeah it just needs a little 50 taken out oh yeah boost the 600 good done Next. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, I was just really into EQing a bass for an hour. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, and the end, at the end of the day, that's my assessment, is that that it 
it'll make you feel or do whatever you're doing for a lot longer and more intensely than you would have if you weren't stoned. But I smoked weed for a long time, so I, I you know, I don't like to say that I was an addict, but um, some people might might want to judge me on that and say that I was. You were probably an addict, yeah. I was super into it, so... Were you smoking and then doing... I smoked all day. All day. Wake and bake until the end of the day, and yeah. So you could be productive. I could, I was very productive, did a lot of work. Do you think you're less productive now without weed? No, I think I do everything way faster and that I can do more things in a day. Yeah. So I think I was... I was productive then because I was younger and I had more youthful energy. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm older and I, I'm a little bit slower just in general, I don't need it to slow me down. I think it was a good tool to, to chill me out because I was super hyper mm -hmm. <laughs> when I was young. <laughs> but uh, who knows what might have happened if I wasn't smoking it and I allowed myself to be super hyper and figured out how to do that really well without it. Yeah, I don't know. it would have right. been a different... Would have been a different Teddy. Different Teddy. Or not. Who knows? That's so funny, man. That road has disappeared now. That road There's is no, gone. no way to relive that. So. Do you do it as like a relaxation or or just not at all? It's not even a part of your program right now. Yeah. It's it, not really. It's not yeah. a thing. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done it in a minute either. It's, if it. It's not really good. I don't. I get like I get anxiety socially on it too. Right. Yeah. Kenny can always that tell. A lot of people. He always can tell if I'm high in public because I have like hats and scarves and like sunglasses on inside. <laughs> like I went to the after party all blaze one time and I had like sunglasses on inside. He's like, "You're fucking ripped, aren't you?" Like, I'm like why? <laughs> He's like, "Cause you always wear so much. You're like trying to hide." In yeah, a crowd, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you're like, sure. oh shit, man, everybody can tell <laughs> I'm hot, you know? <laughs> that's what happens yeah. to me. So that's why it's like, I don't, that's not for going out. Yeah. That's, no. That's, no. What about alcohol? What's your relationship with that? No relationship at all. None. You quit it. It doesn't, no, I never started it. I think, well, I had an experience when I was in my late teens where my best friend Chris and I went to a cast party and I think I drank about 16 beers Oof! and I woke up the next day like I felt poisoned and uh, for a couple of weeks I couldn't really move or get out of bed uh, Chris was totally fine Irish guy Irish guy figures you know. figures yeah yeah I think he drank the same amount as I did and he just woke up the next day and went yeah hey how you doing <laughs> yeah but I was completely destroyed for a couple of weeks and uh I think that cured me of even wanting to drink like and I, I don't like the way it feels I do enjoy the taste of it sometimes like Joe makes martinis on the bus and you know probably once in every tour I'll have one of his martinis and I can't finish it because it's too big but I'll be like wow this tastes really good but does he drink he really, a martini every night he loves to make martinis for a whole crew and everybody does he drink one every night no that's so fancy though that's that doesn't surprise me, though. He's a martini geek. That's his thing. Like, he likes to figure out how to always make them better, and he chills the glasses beforehand, and, like, it's really... Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Martini geek. I don't think I have a friend who's a martini geek. No, he's definitely... He brings a pelican case with glasses and, a, and the... Oh, thing Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's when you know it's on. When the pelican case comes out, right? Yeah. That's like Chris Anderson. He brings the pelican... With his espresso maker and oh, right. beans, and you're like, right. dude, yeah, 
we can't just get normal coffee. We you can't know? just go to Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're making peppermint mochas now. I dude. think there's something to that though that that is interesting, and one of the reasons I really liked smoking pot for such a long time was the routine and the care that you can put into making joints or coffee or anything like that. So yeah, have, and when you're in a life that's freelancer and you're just all over the place, and hey, you got to go different things every day. Having some routines is is good, and helps you focus, right? Yeah. So, did you roll like exquisite joints? Or I got like, really good at rolling joints. Yeah. Like, could you do it with one hand? No, that wasn't that good. That was always like I, I remember goal. seeing someone do that. I was like, well, that would be a goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, and so, but yeah, and weed now is so strong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When I stopped smoking it, it was so strong I couldn't even. It was like I'd just sprinkle a little tiny bit in a cigarette. I'd roll my own cigarettes and just a little bit goes a long way. It's like I I don't like similarly to how you feel. Like I don't like losing control. Like now, like it's so much weed, and you're like, why? Right, 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 right. So that's why it's like this is for you. This is for other people. And now everybody has the vape pens. Like just. The kids, all the kids, they've lost their edge as you... One of the guys who works at Supro, Ricky, he's this great, great country guitar player. <laughs> he vapes and he takes a giant hit and like blows out this gigantic cloud of smoke. Yeah. I'm like, dude, how do you even do that? He goes, it's the new cancer, dude. <laughs> like, wow, okay. <laughs> Is it the new cancer? What the fuck? What does that even mean? And he gets work done? He's oh, yeah, like yeah, a yeah, shredding yeah. country yeah, guitar yeah. player and he builds amps all day? No, he's smoking tobacco. He's not, he's not smoking weed all day. Oh, okay, okay. But okay, he'll okay. vape this huge cloud. Like, <sighs> Yeah, it's gross. I've, yeah, and you're like, ugh, dude. Yeah. Why? I can't even get into that. No, I'm not into that at all. Well, do you have any more good stories? or? Dude, I have a million good stories. Are you kidding? Tell me another good story. Tell me your top three stories. Then I gotta drive to Westchester to teach little kids. Yeah. Yeah. Top three stories. Hmm. How about the Feist story? What happened to her? That's not really a story. I just played. I played one gig with her on the, the Today Show. But she's friends with all my friends. Like she's uh, good friends with Tony Cher and Chris Brown and, and uh, Broken Social Scene guys. You know they were they were all in a crew together. So. I, I knew her before she was famous yeah. a little bit as a peripheral person. And uh, Chris Brown got me on the gig. They just needed a banjo player to sit in and crank out some hot banjo licks. Hot banjo licks on the Today Show? Yeah. That was dope. Yeah. Uh, it was always fun seeing her because she's like, she doesn't like being recognized. You know, most stars are like that, right? They, they're like hiding in the corner. Yeah. And I always go up to her and go, hey, what's up? She's kind of like totally nonchalant, like. I don't give a shit who you are. Yeah. You're Leslie. Yeah, you're just some chick. <laughs> She's nice. I have tons of Ricky Lee Jones stories that are interesting. Yeah, so tell us about this. How long did you play with her? I played with her for a month on tour. And um, after the month was up, I don't think she would have... Well, she never did call me for the gig again. Mm-hmm. She moved on to some no- new music. And what we were doing was sort of like a history of her music tour. 
and uh, I think partially because she was moving on to new music, and partially because I wouldn't take any of her bullshit. Uh-oh. She uh, probably never thought of calling me again. Yeah, she's like, well, I'm never going to call <laughs> this guy again. But if she had, I probably wouldn't have said yes. Yeah. So it was a little contentious relationship. Very difficult to work with. Just, uh, uh, I would say that it's better, you're better off just not. You know, her music is so fucking amazing, mm-hmm. and it was such a joy to sing We Belong Together with her, mm-hmm. sing backgrounds with her, and she had some very, very fun, like we'd sing Beatles songs in the van, and like joy to hang out with her during the day. Once you got the sound check, it was all downhill. It was all done, yeah? Just, yeah. just... Do you guys even know how to do monitors? What this monitor sounds like cardboard. She'd say things like that um, on the mic. Like, she said to the bass player in the middle of a show, middle of uh, Bye Bad Blackbird, she goes, I don't feel any groove from you, bass player. And the bass player's, like, sweating and really trying hard. It's just me and her and the bass player. There's a trio. Like, there's nobody else there. Oh my god. Like on the mic, she's berating him about his groove. Like, he's, the dude's giving it up for you, man. Come on. Yeah, he's doing everything he can right now. Horrible. Wow, that's, uh, yeah, that's not a comfortable scene to make music in. No. No. She, so, but she would try to do it to me, and I would always logic my way out of it. Like, uh, we were walking down the stairs in the Berkeley Auditorium one time, and she goes, Teddy, let's talk about the guitar. And uh, I go, okay. What do you want to talk about? She goes, you know, don't play the things that are on the record. Just make up your own stuff. And I'm like, okay. Anything in particular you're thinking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that lick that goes into the Bridge of Pirates? I go, yeah. She goes, don't play that. Some studio musician made that up, and I, don't, I just don't like that. I'm like, okay, is that it? She goes, yeah, that's it. So... If I hadn't investigated what she was talking what about... What the hell she's actually talking about, Because yeah. what she said was very intimidating. Let's talk about the guitar. Like, it seems like she's just going, you suck completely. Like, yeah. I don't want you in my band. Why are you here? But if I hadn't... Not, I really didn't care, because I knew already that she was psycho, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Talking after school, is that what I'm doing? Talking out of school? <laughs> talking out of school? <laughs> I don't care. She's never going to call me. I and I love her. Like, yeah, that's I mean, the thing. When beautiful. you have people like this in your life, it's possible to love them, forgive them, and have boundaries like a motherfucker. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So my boundary with her is that if she ever calls me again, I'll go, "Hey, Ricky, how's it going? I love you. Oh man, I'm so happy I got to play with you. Oh no, I don't want to go on the road with you again. You make yourself unavailable. Yes, yes. I would just say I don't want to. It's not even unavailable. Not even do I'm, the... Uh, oh, I have nothing going on. Yeah. Oh, really? No, I don't think so. No, I can't do that. That's good. <laughs> I'd rather them know, you know? Just tell them. And um, people don't do that enough, I don't think. I no, think I think you're people right. People avoid... Honesty? Yeah. They don't want to, you know, look, you pushed my boundaries too much. I don't want to be with you. But I love you. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. When when, when was that? When was Ricky Lee? Oh, that was uh, like 2005. Yeah. 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 Did you play acoustic guitar or like you played electric electric guitar? And an upright bass, I assume, or something? There was an upright bass. 
That's shit. a tough gig, man. That's like an exposed gig. You oh, know dude, what I mean? The like, first gig was Jesus. a huge festival with like 20,000 people in Ithaca. And the conver- the leading up to the gig, all I got was, do you know my music? I said, yeah, yeah, I grew up with your music. I'm, I, you're a huge influence of mine. Of course I know your music. Okay. I said, oh, can you send me a song list of what we're going to play at the gig so I can check it out? Okay, but she never did. So I go to the first gig, 20,000 people. She's calling tunes. You know, I tried to review as many things as I thought oh she might God. play. Yeah. But it was a nightmare. It was just, I was, you know. Did you just have charts for every one of her tunes? I mean, what? I, I don't even, that's, that's. I knew, I knew like have? her whole first two records and uh, then anything else she played, I had no idea what it was. And, um,. I played really super timid and just tried to hear my way through it and react, you know, and, and play stuff that I thought made sense, but it, I'm sure it didn't. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like her tunes are not easy. They're not easy tunes. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. She did this other thing. <laughs> uh, she's just a wealth of stories. Yeah, is, I can imagine. I'm very ha- I only play with her for a month, but I probably have 20 stories. <laughs> she, she would split the set up into piano and guitar, so she'd start the set on piano and playing at the Birchmere. And she comes from behind the piano, and she's going to move to guitar, and she's slowly walking in the crowd, going crazy, clapping. Yeah! And she she picks up the towel that's on my amp that I used for my sweat, mm-hmm. and she starts blowing her nose in it. But she's doing it for a long time, and the crowd stops clapping after a while, right? And she's there blowing her nose, but she's hocking loogies. She's like, seriously, like a football player into the towel, just a... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just going totally to town on this towel with oh, this towel. Her snot. Just, oh, no, I don't like and the crowd sad. is silent. So the, and she doesn't have any awareness, and she's doing this. And then she looks up, and she realizes that everybody's looking at her. And she, her hilarious uh, way out of it was, Teddy, is this your towel? <laughs> and and I go, not anymore. Not you can anymore. Have it. You can yeah. have it now. And then the crowd left. That was, that's a good positive story, though. Duh. Kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> the lack of awareness is what really gets me. Yeah, she, that makes her special, then, huh? That's what I her, think, makes her tick a little bit? I think that is part of what makes her able to channel the muse mm. in such an instant, instantaneous, no-filter kind of way. You know, there's those certain people who can do that. Oh, yeah. Josh is like that. Yeah. Tony Sher is like that. Where there's just... No, no inhibition. Yeah, but for her, I think she's gone a little past the deep end on that. <laughs> well, she's a. But hey, she's fucking Ricky Lee Jones. She's Ricky Lee Jones. She's fucking Ricky Lee Jones. She can do what she can do. I do what I want. She, she does what the fuck she's she wants. She's Cartman of singing. She really is. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> that's interesting that you say Josh and Tony both have that because that would make sense. Yeah, I mean, you watch both of those guys play, and there's no... They're not thinking about anything, man. They're just channeling the fucking muse. Yeah. No filter. I'm the opposite of that. I'm constantly... My muse is like... Got on a boat and drove away a long time ago. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, <laughs> come back, come back! But I'm I'm sort of more just very deliberate and intentional compared to those guys. They're yeah. just free to do hippy-dippy whatever, man. And I'm just like, I'm going to do this now, and I'm going to do this now, and that's... This is how people tick, you know? Yeah. Can't That's help funny. it. 
is Tony. I mean, he produced. You guys are good friends. Yeah, we've been really close since like 1988. Does why don't you play bass on his record? I didn't even realize that that dude was quite the guitar player. I think you should ask him that. Just <laughs> <laughs> be like Teddy. I think he should play bass on your record, man. Do you guys swamp? I have a very specific style of playing bass that doesn't fit with Tony's music. Is he funny? Uh, Tony can be funny. He comes across like a serious, serious guy. He's he can be serious or funny. He can he he's really funny actually as a person. I don't think his music is funny. He used to be funny when he played music. Like we 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 wrote some songs together uh, that are pretty hilarious. Yeah, because I mean he was the producer of your record, right? He was. And what did that mean? He's like reeling you in. He's like, Teddy, we gotta cheese this up. To me, a producer just makes things cheesier, you know? Um, well, the way that record like went is we just you. recorded everything live in his studio, and he mic'd everything and, and did all the engineering part, and then I took it home and dumped it in his Pro Tools from his 8-track machine, and then did overdubs and added stuff, and I mean, really, it was both of us doing it, but um, I feel like, I don't know, sometimes I feel generous. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair to say, and he would probably agree with that. Yeah. yeah. He was like, okay, sure, I'm the producer, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Like, sometimes I think there was no producer, like the first, the Lupus record, um, I purposely just didn't put a producer name, because we didn't produce anything. It was playing, and then editing, and then mixing. Yeah. And then that's it. And that's the record. There's no... Yeah. And then what about this... Uh, I mean, Anchorman and Talladega Nights, two of the most important movies of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Both with Alex Werman, composer. Yeah. Yeah. Your buddy in L.A. Yep. Did you get to play guitar on them? I played guitar on them. The first one uh, we did live in the studio with Michael Bland on drums. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the dude from Prince's uh, Revolution Band. And then uh, and Dig Lewis on bass. That was super fun. And then the second one was John Robinson on drums. Uh, that was, a, he was amazing. Yeah. He did something kind of funny in the session. He, uh, there was one point in the score where the, there was triplets in the melody that I was playing. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a Mexican rock ballad, kind of almost basic kind of rock. I don't know how how to explain it. It had a Spanish flavor to it, but but it was rock. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, and uh, so when it got to those triplets, the composer stops the band and he pushes in the talkback and goes, "Hey Jr. Man, can you lay back on those triplets with Teddy?" And I'm sitting there going, "Oh my God! Like he's telling Jr. to play with me? Like shit? <laughs> okay." <laughs> I'm I'm nervous just to be around the guy. You know who J.R. Robinson, J.R. John Robinson played on James Thriller. Brown. Thriller. Thriller and Rufus and Shaka Khan and like he's the most recorded drummer in LA. He's Period. the thriller drummer? Yes. Yeah, I know exactly who he is. Blonde guy, buries the beater on the bass drum. Just fucking amazing. Yeah. Um so he says this to J.R. Hey, can you lay back on those triplets with Teddy? And J.R. goes, Yeah, 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 okay. Kinda blows him off. And uh, we do it again, and we get to the triplets, and it goes by, and 
he stopped us again. Hey, JR, uh, when you get to those triplets, I really want you to lay back with Teddy on those. I think he's playing it the way I want him, the way I want it, and uh, you're you're a little too precise with that. And JR stands up behind his drums and puts his hands on his hips. I have perfect time, he says. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Who has perfect time? And well, he does. And uh, Alex pushes the button again, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I know. That's why I hired you. But can you still lay back on those triplets with Teddy?" <laughs> and then we did it again. It was perfect. Did he lay back on? Him? He did purposely. But, like that's so interesting, right? Like who the says pro- they have the process time? that that went through of him blowing the guy off and then fighting yeah. about him being the man of the session, and you listen to me, little kid. Yeah. And then going, okay, like he had to let go of his ego when he said okay right? Mm-hmm. but he had to assert it on the second time kind of amazing that, that to me that's like it's a little bit bullshitty the whole thing like the first time he said it I would have just gone okay sure whatever like, you I don't mean, do I'll shit. do my like, best I'm just yeah. here to do whatever you want what me to do but that process of, of being slightly offended and having to stand up and put your hands on your hips and say that to going, okay, yeah, I'm being a dick. <laughs> That's amazing. In seconds, you know. You got to be quite the cat to proclaim that you have perfect time, even if you do have perfect time. No one has perfect time. I, I think. I think you know. He probably hadn't ever heard of Alex, and and I think that there's a hierarchy thing that goes on in some of those um, older guy session scene things, right? Where you yeah. you they feel like they have to assert their dominance somehow. I've heard a lot of stories of people doing that and then and then getting shot down. Yeah. That's amazing. And that was for Talladega Nights? That was Talladega Nights. And you guys played the score live? We did. I watched him and the percussionist overdub snare drum that was like five pages of snare drum reading and and Alex just just went, okay, here we go. Push record, and they fucking read that shit, sight read the shit down. Very complicated, ever-changing, lots of different rhythms all over the place. Tight as a bug's ass, two guys playing snare drums. Holy shit. Oh my god, that's scary. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I was watching them like, how do they even do... Like, I can read pretty good, but not like that. That's a whole other level of stuff going on. Damn. Even though it's just rhythms. It was complicated shit. I can imagine. It makes me <laughs> a little anxiety. Like, I'm like, oh my god. I look at a chart. Well, I mean, who's the best reading guitar player? The best reading guitar player? Yeah. Man, not me. I don't know. No one. No guitar player, right? Is the answer well, like Well, guitar every, is yeah, it's hard to read on because you have to figure out what the fingering is going to be, you especially if it's some it overwritten out. stuff, you know, and people have got you going from down here to up here. Yeah. How do you read that? You have to be so facile. You know, I know all the notes on guitar pretty well. Yeah, we know where they are. <laughs> and I can read something pretty well. Yeah. But if there's some things that require f- figuring out a fingering for, then, you know, I'm going to have to take a minute to figure out how to do it. And a lot of people, like piano players, don't have that problem, so they can get impatient with you as a guitar player. And horn players. And label you as a non-reader. And a non-reader, yeah. You're like, nah, dude. But, you know, 
I can bend a string, so fuck you. <laughs> so fucked up. You got this chord? Listen to all those open notes. You don't have this, asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Piano players. Or we have way cooler rhythm stuff. Do we? Yes. Maybe we do. We totally do. I think they're jealous of our the, ryth- the rhythmic <clears throat> element of like a string. You know, it's got like a percussive. Right. I don't know. It's my own thing. <clears throat> oh, that's crazy. But So did you get the charts for those for Talladega Nights and Anchorman beforehand so you could shed them? Mm-mm. You had to read it in the studio. Mm-hmm. And you flew to LA? Mm-hmm. So you were jet lagged to begin with. Mm-hmm. You're flying in, you're like, oh shit. Did you get cartage? Did they, did they take all the pedal boards or did you just take a pedal board? And- I don't remember. Actually, I have no recollection of that. I know that I know I didn't have to bring an amp. It <laughs> <laughs> was at Capitol Studios. Yeah. The Talladega Nights one and the other one was at Westlake. So they were fully stocked. Did, and you brought the whole pedal board? I probably did. I did a wedding gig with you and Graham Hawthorne. And you brought, I thought. Oh, that's right. And I was thinking, Teddy's going to bring all these pedals, man. What did I bring? Like one pedal? You brought three pedals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the Timmy, the Tremolo. You had just the smallest pedal board ever. I'm telling like, you, man. You got to just bring what's necessary. Why do you have to bring the whole rigmarole if you're just going to play rocks all over? No, I, was, I think I was so inspired by that. My whole pedal board now is tiny. I fit my pedal board in my bag and try to, you know, it's one trip, right? Isn't that the goal? That's it. Oh, my gosh. All right. Give us one more story. Give us one more story. I know oh. now the pressure's on because you have millions. How do you pick one? I don't, re- I don't remember any. Now you're like, oh, I have no I had one in my pocket before, and then I lost it. Tell the good nights. The Nine Inch Nails story? I saw Nine Inch Nails at Radiohead. At, Nine Inch um, Nails was a... They're amazing. They are... That live show is unprecedented. It's really amazing. <clears throat> all of the arrangements change live. It's like a real band. You know, so it's like funny how the record and the show are such different animals, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Trent is quite something. And uh, you got to be... I was just a background singer. <laughs> That's awesome. It was four background singers. It was MTV 9999 show. And... uh we we rehearsed for six days, and Trent was kind of nervous about it because he never did one of those live shows. Mm-hmm. So we worked really hard on everything, from uh, you know, I think we multi-tracked each background singer multi-tracked their voice about ten times. So we were playing the tracks. The click was moving. Got to the chorus, and the click slowed down a little bit, a couple of BPM. Mm-hmm. I think it was Josh Freeze on drums. He's and uh, the band was. Spot on, amazing. Robin Fink, uh, Danny, a bass, great. And uh, yeah, yeah, Trent was, he was in every detail of the show in the rehearsals like lights, overdubs, mixing the front house sound, uh, what people are wearing. Every single detail was under his control. Really? And, and there was 25 people in the room doing things. Charlie Clouser. One case. Ridiculous. Uh, and then I just remember him being funny, like when we were just hanging out. He was, he was really hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like he has the... Uh, he's... It seems like there's an anxiety thing with that dude, right? Like Probably. He certainly found an outlet for it. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) 
yeah, I have tons of respect for him, man. Just and nothing weird, like completely business friendly. Yeah. At one point, Robin came up to the four background singers. We were sitting on the couch at SR, and he goes, "He goes, so you guys know the uh, Nine Inch Nails aesthetic, like dressing wise, right? And like the whole visual part of Nine Inch Nails." And me, like couple of us were like, oh, yeah, man, we're total Nine Inch Nails fans. Like, we know exactly what that is. Like, military messed up, like, to, yeah. And he's like, all right, you guys okay with that? And, like, he checks with us, like, to make sure that we can... Pull this out of your closet? Interesting. Well, no, they had a... a they had a stylist. They had a stylist for us that chose clothes for us. Yeah. And he was just making sure that you were morally okay with uh, dressing I don't like know. this? Or I don't know what hell? he was making sure of. He was just seeing if we knew, I think. Okay. I think he was taking the temperature of the background singers. And what was your role in the back? Were you like the high harmony singer? Or you just had to double no, vocals with we, Trent? Or? Uh, I think it was... Um, one song or the whole I set? I won't let you fall apart. You know that song? Mm-hmm. It was that song. And I think it was all unison. I'm not sure. It might have been one guy up top or two. Or maybe it was split. Two guys on top and two guys on bottom. I was certainly not the high guy. I remember my part. And I, the one thing I remember about that gig was that he wanted us to sing so distorted that my voice would be sore by the end of the day every day. So I learned how to sing that way without hurting myself, and I learned how to warm up properly in the mornings to before going there with a lot of steam and a lot of humming mm-hmm. to get the shit mo- moving. You know? Yeah. And so by the end of the week, I was like a pro at singing really super distorted. That's amazing. It was pretty wild. It was, and it was just for like just a live TV, MTV. show, MTV Nine 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 or something. Yeah. I gotta go check out. Is there a YouTube clip of this? There is. They didn't even put lights on us, though. I think they didn't like us because he never called us back for anything. So, <laughs> was it four York. guys, four bunch men? Of, yeah, that's New York. Bunch of one-offs. Bunch of one-offs. Yeah, right. The one <laughs> cool gig, and then they're like, "All right, thanks, guys. We'll uh, we'll get you next time." <laughs> well, thank you for taking time. Yeah, man. My pleasure. And being the engineer, I made Teddy engineer this, which is He great. made me. He forced I, me. <laughs> you said stop yelling at the email. And you said you were going to be a dick, but you weren't a dick at all. Really? Yeah. Fuck. I was hoping for you to be like, and you know what else sucks? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can be a dick guy. and not be negative, right? Kind of, yeah. I don't know. How do you do that? <laughs> Just being like real standoffish, like, yeah, that was a good story. I'm the man. I, I have perfect I want- time. Yeah, right. I wanted to go into it and be like Harry Dean Stanton on that Mark Maron interview where he just doesn't say anything. He just waits for the Mark to... He makes Mark flail. (laughs) (laughs) That was your role? I thought I wanted to do that. But you can't presuppose anything right in these things. Like, you just brought good energy to my house, so Uh, I'm just grateful that you're here. You have great energy here. Thank you for taking the time to be on... uh Secret famous. Secret famous. What's the melody? How's it go? It's just a funk groove in C. Yeah, but what's the melody? Secret famous. Oh yeah. Secret famous. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (coughs) And that's Jason Wexler goes with Paul Madison. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's the one who says that. Yep. Nice. He's my technical director. 
Well, we'll play people out with I'd grow a mustache for you. Right. Not to scratch your face. When we kiss all day. When we kiss all day. That's yeah. a track, man. That's a good track. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for taking the time, Teddy. Thanks for being here, brother. Pounding it. Really, really Pounds fun. Around. Yeah. All right, I'm well, stopping it now. Stop it. You can stop it now. Face.
Yes, you made it all the way to the end. I think, you know, you're a special person if you listen this far. Seriously, thank you for listening to Secret Famous. Thank you for checking it out. Check out the T. Cumps. That's two good tunes. It's a good interview. He's just the man. We love Teddy Cumple. And as usual, I hope you all have a wonderful and delicious time. And feel good that you made it this far. Feel accomplished. I always feel accomplished when I make it to the end of the podcast. But it has to be a wicked good one, right? You're like, yeah. But that song is worth it because it's so good. As I end every podcast. Take care.